Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the Stacks. This is Jay. And this is Rainhold C. Shanna, but everyone calls me Shnaddy. Like uh, Miss Jackson, if you're nasty, kind of thing. (laughs) (laughs) So nasty. I uh, think Miss Jackson should pay me money. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we'll work our way around through it and just kind of do a porky pig explanation. Uh, <laughs> this relates to kind of a special feature in our uh, second part, which will be an interesting discussion as we dig into the films of the Ormond family. Real, real interesting stuff. Uh, but first, we're concluding our coverage of the Female Prisoner Scorpion number 701 series with 701's Grudge Song. Sort of an off-model finale. Yeah. Uh, interesting note, I completely didn't do this on purpose, but noted that we're, we picked this movie exactly one year after picking the, uh, uh, the second one, which was uh, Jailhouse 41, which... I think we both think is a much better film than this, but well, yeah, I'm I mean, kind of coming around on it. I, I I like this one more or less. I think this movie is fine, but it's definitely my least favorite of the four. And it, it is just, it's off model. The problem is that it's not really, it, it's kind of a knockoff movie. It doesn't, the, the big thing is the change in directors. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The impression I got is, by the end of the third movie, the director was like, all right, I told the story. I don't yeah. have anywhere else to go with this. Yeah, exactly. Our, our uh, The director who made the previous ones, he just was done. They offered him a bunch of money. He's like, no, I've, you know, I've made the movies I want to make. We're done with this series. But uh, Meiko Kaji did want to do more. And the studio really wanted to do more because they were making money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So they they bring in, and I think maybe it's partly uh, on, maybe he was, like, from what I understand, it's not totally clear from the uh, special features in the set, but I think she kind of brought the director on. Uh, So this is directed by Yasuharu Hasebe, uh, who previously did a whole series of films with her. Oh, okay. So they had worked together. Yeah, they had done the Stray Cat Rock series where she was the leader of an all-girl biker gang. I want to watch that. Well, you're in luck because, well, we'll talk about it at the end of part one. Oh, but... really? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so 1973, this is the finale in the series. Uh, and it, it is definitely, it, it feels tacked on. Uh, it, interestingly, like both of us did watch the Tom Mez uh visual essay included on this disc which has uh, a sort of in-depth history of the series as well as the long tale of the series of all the remakes i had no idea that scorpion was such a such an overdone character like kind of a cultural icon in a weird sort of way seems very similar to uh as we saw on in the uh the ringu when when we covered the ring way back that there's so many uh versions of that character right right yeah like an entire genre of just the character from the well in the ring (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and it's funny because every single image or clip that they showed of one of the other scorpions (laughs) it's never quite right 
yeah. So sometimes it's like completely wrong, or sometimes it's just a little wrong, but it's never quite right. Yeah, it, it's definitely the like, oh, we've got Scorpion at home. <laughs> it's it like, uh, I don't know. And this one is almost that. It's sort of uh, in between. It's still Scorpion because it is Mikokaji. Mm-hmm. But if it weren't Mikokaji, it would feel completely like a, just a different series of movies. The, I, I think the biggest thing that's missing is uh, the feminist angle. It's kind of just absent. Yeah. Um, I There's an argument to be made, but the movie itself doesn't really touch on it, that... Uh, the female guards are just the result of the patriarchy turning women against one another. But right. all the yeah. other three movies already explore that and they do it better. Right. I think this one is – I think that is an interesting change in this one to have female guards because it's sort of weird that none of the other ones did. Uh, even though mm. we had those uh, – in in certainly the first one, there, it was a big part that there was that sort of – upper class of prisoner who were in control of the other prisoners right oh yeah i remember that now that was that was a while ago we did that first one (laughs) it was a long time ago but yeah uh it's uh these guys their flavor is kind of like that and i guess it just serves to make more anti-cop points which is cool you know they they do some okay stuff with it but it also feels more directly exploitative yeah in a way um, that the others didn't exactly even though the others maybe had more nudity and there was rape in them and they were kind of sensational and surreal this one feels more grimy in in, in places yeah the rape in this one really feels like they put it in because a scorpion movie needs a rape in it yeah it definitely. doesn't do anything for the plot really next to nothing uh it, yeah it's it's a it's a strange thing and so Director Yasuharu Hasebe. Uh, at this point, he was not really doing these films, but he became like a rape film director for a while oh. in in the seventies, making movies such as Rape with an exclamation point, <laughs> or Rape Thirteenth Hour, or oh, oh, Raping. That's it. <laughs> oh my god um those are all three movies that he made uh it's 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 sort of it became he went back to nikatsu which is where he started and where miko kaji started they kind of a lot of the directors and actors kind of jumped ship when nikatsu turned into this series of roman porno is the name of the series like, what? that's what they called them uh, so they were the Roman porno series and people kind of weren't into them. It's They're kind of like the roughies in America. Uh, so uh, Doris Wishman, except oh, okay. you know, at, at a higher level of production. Right. Because, you, know? you know, it's Nikatsu. They, they made proper films. Uh, and, you know, it's made by people like uh, Hasebe because he eventually came back to the company and became one of their top directors in their violent porno line <laughs> uh yeah so uh mostly very rape centric uh they're they're kind of described as rape films as as kind of a genre which uh you know i i i see the seeds of that here and that does make this one a little bit lower tier than the others for me yeah one one thing i noticed is that Every time this movie does something that another one of the movies has done, the other ones did it way better. 
uh less the, stylish the, for sure yeah. the example the first example that comes to mind is the theme song it yeah. looks kind of like a bond opening it's like just got three shots of her walking to the screen i'm like this is neat this is kind of Wait, the last movie's theme song had her running through the city with a severed arm handcuffed to her yeah. head. This isn't as cool as that. Yeah, this is just her isolated in a subway. And it's, you know, it's her in the outfit. You get her in the murder outfit at the start, which is yeah, yeah. kind of neat. Although it is just kind of the end transposed to the opening credits, really. And it's really also the only point where she has sort of a supernatural energy because she sort of teleports to the towards the camera in a couple parts you know through edits obviously yeah yeah but she's she's just a girl in this for the most part right i feel like the others take place in sort of a dream slash nightmare slash hell space whereas this one pretty much feels like it takes place in reality there's not a lot of uh fantasy or surreal elements to it that the the other ones kind of uh really used to its advantage to kind of drive home the sort of insanity of its world. Yeah, this one, the world isn't really even that insane in this one. We've, we've got yeah. our bad guy who's just, he's just a shitty cop. He's the one bad cop as well. I mean, there is sort of a bad system around him, but it's mostly about this one guy bending the system to yeah. uh, uh whereas it, the other ones are like this is just a whole fucked up system uh, the whole system's wrong yeah but here is just he's a, he's a shitty guy he's got a gang yeah and uh except they're a gang of cops yeah yeah but if they if they were if they had been made yakuza nothing would have changed in the movie Right. It has an energy a lot closer to the Stray Cat Rock films. It's uh, like it, not, not quite the same sort of thing because those are more freewheeling. They're a little bit earlier. They're in the 60s and they're more just, you know, girl gangs having girl fights and, you know, uh, <laughs> brawling with their male counterparts who they hate. Led yeah, by Miko Kaji. See, yeah, see, that, that that's why I want to see it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'll see anything she's in. Oh, completely. And I like I guess the big problem is just it has this more masculine energy that doesn't quite jibe with the rest of the series, which have a more ethereal quality. Yeah, I mean the main character for the first half is a dude. He's he's yeah. like kind of the main guy. Kudo is kind of takes over. He kind of sucks. I, yeah, I'm not a huge fan of him. I mean, I'm, it, it is interesting that the film ultimately comes to the same conclusion. It's like, no, he, <laughs> he does suck, though, so he's got to go. Yeah, yeah. It, it does have the typical disclaimer at the start that it's not meant to represent any real prison, which I guess here it feels more fitting because here it feels like it could be a real prison as all of the others it feels like it takes place in a prison in hell as we discussed <laughs> oh yeah that's that's one thing that that uh that visual essay made me do is realize it made me appreciate the third one a lot more than i did mm -hmm. uh because he, he just said yeah the directors had planned for this one to take place in hell in hell and, and which is something we talked about like, oh my god yeah okay when we when we discussed it, it's something that we talked about that it sort of feels like it's not in reality. It feels like it's take place taking place in a prison in hell because the system is so bizarre, yeah, and comprehensive. 
but yeah, this one doesn't have a lot of that. <laughs> no, this takes place in a city. Like, yeah, yeah, the second one, I was like, am I sure this doesn't take place in a post-apocalyptic war zone? <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> this one, it's the opening shots are very strange. We have these huge aerial whip pans across the skyline and there's a female voice yelling scorpion oh yeah we never really find out what that's about because there's no idea what not really any other major female characters in this which i guess is another thing about it yeah there is just that one guard basically and that's yeah that's a problematic element of the movie i don't know yeah i mean there's the other guards but they're not anything yeah uh we we just uh have scorpion who she is also she talks in this one she kind of has no dialogue in the last two movies yeah she doesn't talk much but she she does talk she she has like conversations at times it's weird (laughs) yeah she likes like again it just feels off uh so yeah the the, we have that voice and then we have that thing from the end where she's coming down this corridor i think it's a subway station platform or something yeah that's what it looks like yeah and she teleports a little bit and then Mm -hmm. we've got the titles uh and it's it's the same grudge song as always you know of course yeah and we get our new cop this guy should have represented like the entire corrupt system but he's just because he's so kind of like nondescript evil just me bad do bad thing kind of guy a big part of the problem is that he takes all of his stuff outside of the system whereas he has the system to cause the pro like he could do his uh evil within the system certainly in the previous ones he would have been doing the evil as an extension of the system here he like kidnaps her to get her out of official justice to get personal revenge which really doesn't jibe with the others of the series well it jibes when he does it later on after uh, they murder his wife and unborn child. Although they then don't. Make sense. Oh, yeah. No, they she... don't. She <laughs> kills herself by accident. Yeah, that's right. It's. Oh, yeah. And nobody ever bothers to explain that to anybody. No. So Kodama is our guy, is our, our bad cop. And he and his gang of other bad cops crash a wedding. I guess they're looking for Scorpion for some reason. I don't really know how they happen to know that she would be there she's back to her old job as a seamstress oh that's why she's there i I guess why is she why is she at this place in the first place is she getting married that's wrong well no you see her working on someone's dress like you see her Uh, that's what she's doing sewing at the the bottom of the bride's bride's dress so it's like okay she she became a seamstress back in number two Oh, right, because she served out her sentence in the third one. Yeah. <laughs> so there, there was that period where she was working in the sweatshop and they had yeah, all that's that right. stuff. So like, oh, yeah. How about that? She she went back to her job. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I guess. 
and they're here to arrest her and again we just get her name a lot which is also weird like everyone's referring to her as nami matsushima rather than scorpion most of the time yeah just feels off model yeah yeah it's it's a little weird she because by the third one she was more of a legend she wasn't they weren't even calling her by her name it's like we gotta catch the scorpion well, she she like absorbed a witch, the spirit of a witch, in like a <laughs> mystical forest. I mean, it's it's very strange oh, yeah. to, us, to be back at this point where she's just like mending mending a wedding dress, and cops come to arrest her. She falls in a cake. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. just, like, what are we doing? Uh, she she gets handcuffed and doesn't cut off the guy's arm. Although she does slash one cop's face before they get the first arrest. And she does, like, take out a couple cops during her escape. Mm-hmm. Like, pretty good escape. <laughs> it's all right. You know, it's it's decent enough. I feel like it has a reasonably strong start. You know, I, I was confused about what was happening the first time I watched it with the wedding thing. Because it just seemed like to be this huge event where suddenly she was slashing people uh and i i I couldn't figure out why she was there at first because i i had missed that she was working on the dress on my first watch through i was like is she just randomly there to ambush someone but no she was just working i hadn't see i I couldn't figure out why she was there and at first i hadn't figured out that they were cops i thought it was getting raided by yakuza uh, yeah, or it, it felt like some sort of official event and that these guys coming in were political rather than police. Oh, they, they felt like... could have been that. You know, the mayor and some goons or something. One guy but, looked mayorly. Yeah. Anyway, they arrest her, they put her in the car, and we get Kodama, our fucking bad cop, uh, giving a fucking lecture about... How he needs to send her to the gallows because need to save face for the public after all of the stuff she's done over the previous films. Yeah, yeah, it's it's like yeah, we're gonna we're gonna get you for what you did to Sugibi and all the other good cops you killed. Right, and wasn't there something about? I, I thought she'd served out her sentence already. Well, I was that was done. like a whole weird thing because they didn't seem to know it was her, and it was. A right, whole different crime she was serving on. A <laughs> oh, yeah, for. that's right. <laughs> she she went to prison under a different name so she could get at someone who was yeah. back in prison. Yeah, and then like ten days later, she was released. Right, right, <sighs> and yeah, I I like that he mentions that all the previous cops she's killed are waiting for her down in hell. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, they sure I, are. <laughs> I do appreciate that he's like, yeah, no. They are in hell. Yeah, they're in I hell waiting you. for you. <laughs> but then she she doesn't really respond to any of that. She doesn't have much to say here. She does talk to Kudo a bit later, but she has like a flower with a knife in it, I guess. <laughs> yeah, what the? F- I couldn't figure out like what that was about. It's she, cool like, though. It's one of the yeah. few little bits of style because it's a white rose or something and. He she she stabs it into the guy's head and it turns red like the yeah, flower like turns red. Cartoon red, it's cool. I love it. It's yeah. the only time it does anything like that, really. 
and there's a crash and it's hard rain. She escapes and she's running through the streets in the rain. She slashes another cop. I mean, th- this is a good bit of the film. And uh-huh. it if it had carried on with this sort of at least semi otherworldly feel to it, it probably would have been a solid fourth entry. Oh, yeah. Like like if the city were like perma night and perma downpour. Yeah, like just, just all rain, her uh, being chased by this crazy cop. Yeah. I think all the stuff with Kudo is a big problem. Um, Kudo, Kudo takes over the film, but he, he, he doesn't have the chops to uh, actually take it from Nami. He's just not anywhere near as compelling of a character. Not remotely. So she's kind of a sad yeah. sack. Well, he, I mean, he's, he's had some problems. Yes, but <laughs> things, has, things haven't been great, but I, I don't have a ton of respect for him. Ultimately, it's just the choices that he makes. And I feel like even the movie doesn't, it's just, why are we spending so much time on this guy? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it, it sort of feels like, well, let's have a male main character for whatever reason. <laughs> All movies need to have a romance subplot, even Scorpion. So the they corner her in some underground service tunnels, and I think she just manages to get away. And we we just sort of cut to our we we just in the middle of this actually interesting stuff. We cut to our guy Kudo. <laughs> <laughs> he uh, i can't figure out what his job is he's like a porno dj or like a strip club lighting guy i think he does the lighting he's like the guy in the booth i he might also do like narration or something uh because yeah it's it's sort of a burlesque show you have a couple ladies performing in this purple light and i think he's he like sets up the gels and stuff because he's in the booth up above it mm-hmm and yeah i don't know yeah i was i wasn't quite sure i i I couldn't quite figure it out because we don't really see him do the job we just see him in the job place yeah a few times and uh, there's this lady who's in the booth with him who is sort of a background character who's fairly important yeah i don't think she gets a name or anything but she she comes up a few times yeah i can't remember but she is like she's with him at the end. She she's like dating him later on, which is weird. Yeah, because hmm. <laughs> she's interested in him in him here. She yeah. puts her hand down his pants, and we we don't find out exactly what it is, but his dick's all fucked up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She like freaks out. It's like she oh, runs yeah. away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, like... Yeah. Very strange. Hmm. So he he goes to the bathroom and he sees some blood under a door and it's Scorpion. She's she's hiding out. But she's not uh, got a severed arm in her teeth uh, grind, trying to grind a chain against a tombstone, unfortunately. No, it's nowhere near that. She's just hiding in a bathroom and she's bleeding. And then he like she does give the death stare. That's her thing. Yeah. But then she collapses. Mm hmm. Which, I mean, Scorpion wouldn't have collapsed in the previous films. She's more no, of a supernatural power. She has ghost powers. They're just gone in this one. So he hides her out in the storage room. And 
he sees her handcuff and he gets like flashbacks to when he was brutalized as a student radical back in the day. The way they do the flashbacks, I kind of like it. It's not bad. Just like that, yeah. Uh, like that that uh, kettle whistling in the background being the only thing that you hear, which I thought was a neat effect. Even before I realized that it's because the kettle is a huge part of it. I, I think done pretty well. Uh, and uh, just it, it does give more political slant to the movie that it sort of needs with a lot of the uh, other subtext sort of missing that uh, the the same Kodama was the guy who brutalized him and was this anti uh, he was the riot police back in the day. And now he's murder police or whatever. Yeah, or. Whatever his actual job is, maybe it's probably just being a marijuana cop. Who knows? Like I mean, Sugimi. well, th- yeah, that was Sugimi. <laughs> so he brings her food and medicine. And uh, since the police searches are all intensifying around there, he takes her to his secret hideout, which is his former student radical headquarters. Yeah, weird that it's uh, still a safe, safe place. Yeah, I it, it seems to be. I guess they I never guess they managed to capture never... it. Yeah, yeah, I guess Maybe they 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 do get it later. So yeah, that's true. It doesn't stay there very long. I, it doesn't seem like he had the wits to keep it secret for such a long time, given how <laughs> it is discovered. Yeah. <laughs> so the cuffs and the the stashed clothes are in the storage room, and the lady who found out his dick was messed up finds the cuffs and reports this shit yeah hello officer uh i was trying to have sex with this guy but his dick is all fucked up you better come down here i think he's got (laughs) scorpion yeah basically she it seems to be driven by jealousy because later when scorpion is out of the picture she does end up with him Mm -hmm. which is sort of weird uh which again i I mean it does feel like something that doesn't really fit in this series yeah uh that's another i wasn't even thinking about it at the time but yeah this is another character that doesn't really work this uh, this lady yeah so well, he, well most of most of kudo's stuff doesn't work uh, the the whole kudo thread so he has to express his bona fides so we we have just a showing off scars scene you know he lifts up his shirt and he's pretty badly scarred they whip the shit out of him mm-hmm. uh and the the, the, we, we get those sequences where he's being beaten in front of uh, a wall and then in the foreground there's this boiling kettle that has public safety written on it. <laughs> it feels like a political cartoon. It does. It really does. <laughs> <laughs> and it's interesting. It's the first time she seems to be turned on by anything ever in this series because he's talking about how much he hates cops and she's like, hmm. (laughs) Yeah. That see, that's kind of the thing. I always thought she has sex and she does she uses I always thought she yeah, yeah. See that's it. I always thought she was asexual. Like she's not into sex so much. Her initial sexual experience was extremely traumatic and one that kind of led her down this vengeance path. So she's in previous movies, she really has only used it as uh, uh, as a method of getting people on her side or 
flipping people like that that one female the <laughs> undercover cop they sent in that oh one my time. god no please you gotta let me go back in there i i swear i'll get her to talk next time i know i'll get it fucked her fucking brains out yeah so so back at the the burlesque show or whatever the police raid the place and grab him uh and we we do get right away that uh, our uh, Kadama was the one who arrested and brutalized Kudo back in the day. So it's kind of their story that Scorpion just happens to be in the middle of. Yeah. They just... have the history. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's more like he's just like, well, I heard about this cop named Sugimi and how he got killed by a woman. And I figured I would do something, but I never thought it would lead me to you. Yeah, how about that? How, how's your dick from when I ruined it? And we we actually flash back to the uh, the the pot of b- public safety water bo- just uh, <laughs> boiling and poured on his dick. Oh. So that's why it's it's all burnt up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Oof. and of course they know she he's obviously got to be the one who's hiding Scorpion. He's a former radical that they have issues with he's going to be the guy they they found paraphernalia there who else would it be who yeah who else could it be and he's, he seems to be the only person who constantly works there everybody else seems to just be a stripper mm-hmm. so uh she is wanted for murdering eight police officers which doesn't seem like as many as i'd figure i i'm <laughs> sure there should be more than eight and there's also three prison breaks, which that I I suppose that seems about right. That tracks. One for yeah, each movie. Prob- yeah, yeah. <laughs> so they beat up Kudo a bunch, and he doesn't speak to them. He returns to the hideout, just totally beat to shit. And he's like, I beat yeah. them. <laughs> yeah i love this scene because as he's like, Yeah, I beat them, and now we're safe, Scorpion is like in the background pouring gasoline all over the place yeah she's like starting to get things ready because obviously he's been followed they, and they have obviously. followed him they're outside yeah it's basically like oh man i beat their interrogations they you know they didn't do it for as long as i thought they would they seem like they gave up pretty easily but i win it's like you're dumb she doesn't even address it and no <laughs> she's just getting ready for the shit she knows is gonna go down it's fucking absurd so just yeah the, the cops obviously show up in force tons and tons of, of course them. <laughs> oh man maybe i shouldn't have gone straight back to my secret hideout from the police station but you know to his credit in you know the moment of truth kudo just grabs the gun and he's ready to go down fighting yep. right away he sh- like the first cop in the door. He shoots him down. Yep. So she's like, eh, maybe this guy's all right. He's not so smart, but he's got his heart. <laughs> he kills cops. I kill cops. We something in common. And Kadama tells all of his cops to hold fire because he wants her alive. Uh, at this point, it's not personal. It's a save face kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But it's also still he wants her himself. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's not just he wants her alive, but he wants to be the one who catches her alive. Right. Uh, but they, they also, there's a secret uh, underground passage escape route from the the shack. So they, they escape into the tunnels and get away. 
Of course. So there's a massive search. Uh, he, they, we, we have that scene in the police station where he's just assigning every squad in the city to roll every single person who they know has ever <laughs> met Kudo. Yep. <laughs> anyone he's ever worked with, anyone he's known to have ever dated or gone to school with, just snatch them up and beat them. It doesn't matter what they did. <laughs> yeah. Who they are. So, uh, obviously it turns out that Kudo and Nami are at kodama's house <laughs> they're, they're hanging out at his apartment with his pregnant wife a weird took choice me, took me a bit to realize that that this is who she was and they didn't just go into a random apartment right i mean it's it's sort of a reveal at the end of the sequence but uh camillo mm-hmm. this this pregnant lady uh she is like the, it, it's clear that she is some sort of relative of the police because uh, he phones up, obviously saying that he'll be late, and they're like, "You said he wasn't coming home at all tonight. You lied to us." Yeah, and that's when she kind of starts uh, panicking. And yeah, she just freaks. Decisions. She she freaks out. It's it's like a Coen Brothers movie at this point. It feels like something <laughs> from Burn After Reading. Like she she just flips and you know she's running around back and forth like a lunatic and she goes over the balcony and splat. Yep. <laughs> it, it it's like one of those suicidal tiny dogs. You know? <laughs> you just, oh my god! That just jump out the window of moving cars like it's not a thing. Yeah, she's just like uh, all of a sudden she, something caught her attention. He's like yeah 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 yeah, and she fucking jumps off the balcony and she's dead. <sighs> That seems um, like the sort of person that Kadama would marry. Yeah, so guaranteed it was uh, Kudo, Kudo's idea to go to her house, not Scorpion's. I mean, it doesn't seem like a Nami sort of idea, and how would she even know where... I mean, how would he know either? But... Yeah, that too. I would love the idea if it was just a random house that happened to be his. <laughs> it, like, it is oh, weird. We're in th- trouble. It is just an odd thing that suddenly they're taking the wife hostage. That is also never a thing that has happened in one of these movies before. That yeah, that's the thing. Scorpion doesn't really do violence to innocent women. Yeah, this is Scorpion is certainly not going to go take a pregnant lady hostage. That's certainly never happened before. So, I mean, in that sense, it kind of has to be Kudo's idea. I don't know. Yeah. It's weird. Yeah. It, it took me a bit to think, to, like, come to that, but I was like, yeah, another reason why Kudo just sucks. But Nami does feel bad about the death. You know, it, it is, mm-hmm. it, it's clear that this is something that she was not cool with and it's sort of a problem for her. But then she and Kudo have sex, which <laughs> is surprising on a bunch of levels because it doesn't seem like she would have sexual desire given the rest of these movies and the way the character has been portrayed up to this point. And also, it doesn't seem like his dick should function given what we'd heard. And third, it doesn't seem like she's into it. Because we see her, she's just laying there. We know that she's real good at sex, but we don't see it here. It's it is just a strange scene. It feels very uh, perfunctory. It's like it's a scene that needed to happen, but it doesn't make sense for either character or for anything going on. No, um, yeah, it, it really feels out of nowhere. 
but it's like okay we need to have sex before we plan our mutual revenge we're gonna we're gonna get revenge together i guess Mm -hmm. so they they do a fucking this is one of the cool things they ambush some cops on the highway oh yeah right (laughs) (laughs) They, they shoot the driver they take off with a couple suitcases there's a whole chase sequence yeah i guess stealing bad cop money or something fucking stealing suitcases stealing money but it it feels like something out of a yakuza film it does not feel like something out of a scorpion film what the hell does scorpion need money for she doesn't buy things she just etherealizes whatever she needs i mean she doesn't need to eat i like i don't even get any point of it 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 just doesn't feel like like what are they meaning to do here are they trying to draw the cops to them like there's no real uh i i feel like we have a lot of things that happen that i don't understand why they happen well see the thing is uh uh, kodama after his first money will be taken he's going to take all the money into the safe house which is the middle of the police station in this huge vault and they have to get their cars and attach it yeah yeah no i don't know no, I mean, it, like, again, it, it's not a scorpion plot. It just doesn't no. fit in here. And there, there, we have no conversation about why they would be getting a bunch of money. Uh, they don't just, use it later. No, and it, it's just very strange. So, you know, in, in running away, they split up. Kudo obviously gets arrested. He's not very good at getting away. No. How did this guy, like, live as long as he did with this psychotic cop like homing in on him i assume that he just left him alone after he wrecked his junk and that he's like okay i've i've ruined him enough and then he happened to come back into his radar so it's like well i'm gonna fucking ruin this guy again yeah okay so uh yeah they they it's it's another intera beating they they mess him (laughs) up uh sleep deprive him they keep beating him and then you know when he's just lying on the floor they won't let him pass out yeah and then they bring his mom in. <laughs> I love this part. His estranged mother, who, you know, they, they haven't talked in years. He's gone no contact because obviously she doesn't get him. And she's clearly very pro-police and she is on their side. Like, she watches the police beat the shit out of him. She's still like, you should tell them what what they want to know because uh, the police are right. And, you know, the, the woman you're protecting is certainly bad you must have done something wrong otherwise the police wouldn't beat you son and and again somehow no one has mentioned that it was an accidental death i mean i guess no one's going to believe it either way but it's it's never even something that is floated well yeah like and the thing is he could he could redeem himself a bit here by saying they're like we know you didn't kill her we know scorpion did he could say like hey no she didn't and she's didn't murder this one and it also doesn't make sense for her character i don't know why they would assume that she would i guess like the idea is that she's related to a cop and she is known for killing cops but when has she ever killed any woman who she was not in direct antagonism with never yeah no like but also pinning the pinning the death on her would be something that this cop would do and oh yes 
it's just he seems to completely believe it because it's what yeah. drives him for the rest of the movie and i don't understand why he would believe it other than just a general he believes she's evil you know he just he needs he needs to be a bad guy so i don't know <laughs> well, yeah, it, it just seems like it would be much more logical for him to specifically believe that kudo is the one to blame given that yeah. he knows the track record of the other lady she was just kudo. living normal until he came after her yeah kudo was just holding kudo was the one holding the gun too scorpion doesn't even use guns it's not her thing yeah so of course ultimately with his mom begging kudo gives in <laughs> yeah she's like begging on the floor and he's like writhing on the wall with so much pain i'm sorry i disappointed you mother you've disappointed me son oh <laughs> it's got like they're they're clearly trying to do one of those surreal abstract scenes but it doesn't quite land they just got some colored lighting yeah they're well i mean they're barely doing it it's really just them i don't know <laughs> I, I like it though it's, it's fine like it's it's all right i i again you know she, he gives in they go arrest yeah. Ami, and yeah you know she has another revenge notch now it's like oh you fucking sold me out oh yeah she 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 made him angry enough that he had that she, or he made her angry enough that she had to say words oh he's betrayed me too yeah which I don't know. That also yeah. just feel like, oh, he's betrayed me too. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's more like she's like, because I'd be like, okay, she's caught this guy and he's definitely gonna talk. I need to move now. More not like him talking as a against his character. Yeah, I don't know. They they, yeah. they capture you know they they surround her at the junkyard because she's been hiding out in a wrecked car. And she really thought that he was not going to sell her out, so she was uh, pretty disappointed. Uh-huh. Uh, she slashes three more cops in this melee. Again, eight does seem like a small number that she's wanted for. Yeah, it really <laughs> does. But she does give Kodama the death stare, which is always fun. Classic uh-huh. death stare. Nobody does it better. I can't think of anyone right now. No, um, no. you're probably right. <laughs> So we go to the, our new women's prison, our, our women's prison for this one, which is still cartoony, but not so cartoony. This one has all female staff. It it does mostly. It's a primarily female staff. And the weird thing, I guess, is that it's built all around the gallows and the prisoners are forced to constantly wash them. That's pretty cartoony. <laughs> yep. Yep, the only way that uh, society can function well is if the threat of capital punishment is always looming overhead. Yeah, this is one of the few things. This is a part that does feel very much in line with the other films. It's just, uh, it takes a really long time to get there. We have all this kudo bullshit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and then we just put her in a prison, but I don't know. It's not, without dudes doing it, it's not quite the same. And it's just taken a really long time to get there. So Kadama tells the warden how much he wants her to suffer while she's waiting to die. He's like, I really want her to suffer. And he's like, oh, don't worry about that. We'll make her suffer. Suffering is what I feel is important for prisoners. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) She doesn't believe in rehabilitation. That's not a thing. Nope. <laughs> I I would like to just keep all of them here forever as my pets, basically. I was like, okay, that's cool. Uh <laughs> yeah, just do an execution every now and again for funsies when we get bored. Yeah. 
So our our other main female character is Miss Daimon, the section chief over Scorpions. I guess just Death Row, right? I guess that's what it would be. Which um, I don't understand in this system, if it's supposed to be this really horrible prison system, how this sensitive lady who doesn't like any of this these things ended up being the section chief over Death Row specifically. Yeah, she is way too compassionate for this workplace. Like, she, how did she get hired? How did she get promoted? Why did the obviously evil warden put her in charge of this? Well, she's so extremely prim and straight-laced because there's all the rest of her co-guards in that section. They're, like, looking at porn uh, when when she's introduced. And she's embarrassed by it. Like, she doesn't even <laughs> want to look at male nudity. She, it's upsetting <laughs> to her. Yeah. Okay, whatever. Uh, I, yeah, I just don't get it. Like, I, again, wh- how did she end up here? Yeah, and... <laughs> And she's like, okay, well, I'll take compassion on you, Scorpion, too. Right. So Kadama comes to visit Scorpion, and she takes her, or she takes him to see her. Yeah. And she's she's very much someone who does believe in rehabilitation. She is so she has so much praise for the other death row inmate next door, Miss Inagaki, who's become a strict Buddhist, and she prays all the time and you know, next week, she doesn't know it yet, but she's going to be executed and I'm going to tell her tomorrow. And you know what? I bet she'll be totally cool with it. <laughs> That's another thing. Don't do death row inmates not find out in advance when they're going to be executed. I would think that's something that well, maybe not, maybe just maybe that's just another reason why this prison is fucked up. Uh, I think it's a cultural thing. I'm, I'm not sure. It, it depends oh, okay. where and maybe different based on the era. I, I know definitely like there is a specific date in the U.S. because you're also, you know, it's the thing of you know, the last minute reprieve from the governor. You you have that window of time, whereas here, yeah, I don't think it may be the way I've, I've seen other movies about capital punishment in Japan, like Death by Hanging, which is excellent. Oh, it might might have been the system back then that oh, okay. you don't know until only a couple days before. Hmm. Damn, that's horrible. I'm on death row and I literally don't know if I'm going to die today or not. Well, you'd know a few days ahead, I think, is the idea, but I don't know. Yeah, but still, that's... I mean, I mean how yeah, different okay. is you're one waiting more... there to die? What, what, yeah. What's the difference does it make? One more strike against prisons. Right. So uh, the, the two goons... Uh, you know, they go through a thing. Like, I, I'd like to unshackle her and the naive section chief has her whole thing like oh i'm sure that will endear her to you and she'll uh start to respect people more and oh she'll be rehabilitated by you <laughs> taking the shackles off and it's super naive for the position oh, she's of course in. yeah and the the section chief does object uh when they start to beat her up you know they, they start to beat her up and she's like oh that's wrong you can't do that and She's basically written down as like, okay, well, we're going to have to go gang rape her later. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck. Yeah. So, so she's the one who gets raped in the little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Shortly. So she first tells now, you know, they beat her up and, you know, obviously she's going to be a problem. They go to talk to the warden about what a problem she is because she's too sensitive. She believes in the rules. We're not into rules around here. <laughs> 
Yeah, cruelty is the point. How did she even get hired at this place? Yeah, so th- this is where she talks to Nami and says, like, well, uh, Inagaki is going to be executed in four days. I'm sure she'll be cool with it when I tell her tomorrow. I don't think she'll be bothered at all. And <laughs> she's like, I think you should meet her. That She introduces the two of them. <laughs> this scene is basically, uh, I'm not afraid of death. Well, you should be. Oh, I am now. <laughs> it, it's, it's, uh, like, I don't know how Nami does such a mind trick on her. It, it doesn't really, uh, it's not communicated within the scene. I feel like a lot of stuff in this movie is gaps that we're kind of supposed to fill in as the audience. Yeah. Like the thing I said earlier about why they were stealing the money, how that yeah. fit into any plan. I don't get that. See how this could make sense and would be a Nami thing to do, but still wouldn't be a Nami thing to do, because I don't understand why she's doing this anyway. No, I have no idea why she would just make this woman have a mental breakdown uh, right before this. And it seems to be vindictive both against this woman as well as against the section chief, and I have no idea why for either. Neither yeah, of them have done anything to her. It doesn't make sense. Like, they're not... <laughs> it's so out of character. They are the ones who she... Sh- the ones she shouldn't be going after they they seem like the ones she would be uh trying to get on her side to work with her against the system they seem like the most likely ones yeah but if they were going to do it the scorpion way they would have her have sex with the buddhist lady and then the sex is so great that she doesn't want to die Right, or something along those something lines. Like it that, just yeah. it, it does seem just very odd that she and it's a very strange exchange where she's like, Oh yeah, I mean I, I pray every day and uh I'm I'm uh very comfortable with death. And she's like, Oh yeah, well you're still afraid of death. And then she just freaks out about her death, and then she's yeah. like totally freaked out for the next couple of days because I I like I assume that there there is an element of the scene that we don't see, and I assume that she is told ahead of time that you are going to be executed in four days what do you think of that well yeah i think nami does tell her or at least we're meant to believe she does yeah and and yeah she free i don't understand the purpose of this why no i don't get it i think it it sort of seems it's her actually giving advice which does seem like a whole weird thing it's strange for her (laughs) to have this like well i think you're going to be executed in four days, so I think that this Miss Damon is sweet on you, and you could probably use her to escape, so you should make as much of that as you possibly can in the next few days to get out. And it's like, why is Scorpion telling her all of this advice while she's also trying to traumatize her? And it just, it, it feels so strange. Nothing, yeah, like this, <laughs> this doesn't, another thing that doesn't really work. So then we have the execution which of course kodama shows up to uh witness as well as he requests that uh scorpion be brought out so that she can watch it too yeah yeah just like haha this is what's gonna happen to you i think this will intimidate you for some reason yeah as if she didn't know as if she was (laughs) not scorpion as if she hasn't seen a dozen executions in her time in prison yeah, she's been in crazier prisons than this a bunch. So yeah. I, I, I don't know where anyone's going with this, but of course, Inagaki has a huge freak out. It's it, it, the the execution goes very badly, and everyone is very upset, especially, uh, of course, Miss Diamond. Yeah, who just it, she 
She lectures Nami while she's scrubbing the gallows steps. They get Nami to clean up afterward because of what she did, which I don't yeah. really understand what <laughs> it is she did exactly. Well, they don't need a reason. They get prisoners to scrape, scrub the steps all the time. They don't. They could just be like, I don't know. I mean, ultimately, I feel that what Nami did is tell her early, and this was just what was going to happen either way. Yeah. She got upset because she knew that she was going to be killed. Like, that, that's not on Nami. That, that was just a you misunderstanding where she was yeah. at. Mm-hmm. But anyway, her, her yelling at her, and that was a really horrible thing you did to her, and I don't appreciate that. And uh, then, you know, someone's like, hey, uh, we need to talk to you in a room a little uh, off the beaten path for a little bit, just secretly with, with a bunch of cops. Yeah, come with us to this janitor's closet. Yeah. So yeah, they uh, it's the visiting police. It's uh it's uh Kadama's gang, his yeah. guys. And they 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 all uh attack her and she shrieks, "How could the police do a thing like this?" <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> How did you live this long, lady? How could the police do a thing like this? <laughs> Where do you work? Like <laughs> Do you just walk around with a blindfold at your prison job? And it's it's a weird thing where at the end of it, you know, she's lying on the floor and she's crying and Kadama leans in and tells her that she's going to do something for him. And I guess she does, but I don't know if she also tells Nami about what the plan is and warns her because I don't know why she would help him and not Nami, given this thing. Like, I don't know what their their end game is in doing this, even. Well, it's, it's what she... It's like... Oh, God. How do... This, hey, this is supposed to get, the, get her on their side? She was mad at her already. Oh, okay, so... They pulled her away from yelling at her. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's, it's so bizarre. Like, oh, well, this will... And this will show her we're going to get her to, well, you know, crush Scorpion with us. Like, she hates Scorpion now. Why would she now <laughs> not hate you? Well, it, no, it's it's stupid. But it's that whole thing, um, like, from Bad Girls Go to Hell, where if you yes. get raped, it's your fault and it's your reputation that's going to get ruined. True, true. And that, that is definitely what he says to her. Yeah. yeah. Even though it shouldn't work it should like, reflect badly on the police who gang raped her because of a policy decision. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's so know. like this should have maybe radicalized her and made her realize, hey, maybe Nami's right, but it doesn't. No, it it true. Well, it I don't know if it does. I really well, don't yeah, know. Yeah, it's because it she's looks obviously like she's helping Nami, but. Yeah, I don't know. She she helps. Maybe she tells her. It's like again, we have to fill in the gaps because the movie doesn't really. It's missing pieces in a weird sort of way. Yeah, an indeterminate amount of time passes, and then she helps her escape. Yeah, well, it's it's the day of the execution. Yeah, right. The execution is supposed to be going down, and she helps her escape because uh, it, it's the same thing as before. We saw them getting a last shower before they go and she helps her escape down the drain and then she lies down in the shower and pretends to have been knocked out yeah yeah and and they have a car waiting but but it's, it's kadama's car it's the trunk yeah. of kadama's car yeah 
where he's got like this special gallows built in this gorgeous <laughs> like so he's he's built a private gallows that he drives her to i just want to note though before they drive away we see that all of the prisoners are just celebrating that scorpion has escaped they think it's so funny oh, they right. think it's wonderful everybody's jazzed and again this so goes against fucking kadama earlier being uh uh, all about saving face they are extremely not saving face by him doing this yeah um kadama's not really a character just more like i will do whatever evil thing the script calls for i'll just make it happen well it's it's so weird because he has arrested her he is going to be there witnessing her being executed in front of him on a gallows except he an engineers a prison escape in his own vehicle has a private gallows built out in like an incredible field against sunset <laughs> to to take her to solo without any backup personally uh hang her himself in the same way just i why what a, what a <laughs> hard thing to do well she escaped prison but she just happened to get into my car so i'm the one who caught her uh, can i have a promotion please i i just i, I don't get any element of his plan as especially because it it's so obviously a thing that can easily go wrong she goes up to the it gallows does go he's wrong. he's up there with her with the gun obviously because he can't let her just like he he needs to be right there there's no yeah. other way that it's going to work out <laughs> yeah, and she jukes happen? him Obviously, yes. she just fucking jukes him, and he falls into the noose and dies. He hangs himself. Yeah, instantly. this thing is over in like five seconds, and I'm just like, <laughs> that's the climax of the movie. Like they have to do it in slow motion because it makes no sense. Otherwise, she like <laughs> leaps, and he just like tries to lunge at her, and the trap door goes, and he falls headfirst into the noose, and yeah, it's like, oh, okay, <laughs> all right, that was. Fine. That was fast. Uh, okay. And then we she didn't just... even get to put on the murder hat. Well, no, she does now. She does now. Yes. <laughs> she, we we get a coda. She goes. She has to go tie up that kudo loose end. He fucking betrayed her. Yeah, I didn't think he was. I didn't think she was gonna kill him. I'm kind of uh, glad. Well, though. I mean, until yeah. I would say it is one of the main redeeming features of this movie that she. It's still a scorpion movie. Like, well, this oh. guy was sort of the main character, but she's fucking gonna she's gotta put put him to death because he fucking betrayed her oh yeah her final line is like okay yeah the, i i'm I'm on board with this movie again he just took a rocky journey to get there yeah she's she's in her vengeance outfit she shows up uh he is dating the lady who informed on her before which is an extra strike against him yep and he's like Hey, Nabby, I'm really happy to see you, and I don't think there's anything awkward about this reunion. I don't know. I kind of feel like he's almost embracing the death that she brings. He, he's I, like, I think he was after, like, I got the impression that, like, he was happy to see her, but once she stabbed him, he was like, oh, yeah, okay. Like, I kind of felt like he was running into death. He, he was rushing to embrace the death she brings. He like she's there in her murder outfit. He's got to know that this is what's going down. Yeah, yeah. But she, like he hasn't he, seen the murder outfit. I don't know. 
It's it's oh, but they had all those posters with her in the murder outfit. Yeah, it's it was a very famous image. It's yeah, lined the streets for uh, most of that previous film. That's right. So yeah, yeah, I mean, he runs towards her to the knife and impels himself on it. Yeah, (laughs) Uh, he says, "Nami, please forgive me," and dies. And she says, "You were stabbed by the Nami Matsushima who fell for you." Mm -hmm. Yeah, not me, not now. You're, yeah, no. you're you're being stabbed by the by the person you screwed over, and now she is the she is not Nami Matsushima anymore. She is the Scorpion. The end. The uh, end. A, a woman's life is her song of vengeance, and we we get her you know back in that corridor teleporting away from the camera, mm-hmm. uh, and that's it. It's yeah, you know, it's all it's right. Fine. <laughs> I I didn't. I like I liked it well enough. I mean, it doesn't hold a candle to the others, but it's fine. Yeah, I mean, I I enjoyed it. I I think it's a watchable movie. It's pretty good as uh, a yakuza style film, but yeah, it definitely doesn't have any of the flair that the earlier ones had. It just doesn't have the energy. It feels like Scorpion was just taken and dropped into this whole different movie and they only changed a little bit of it to fit her in yeah and like the other ones there are there's elements of surreality and stuff this one it just has things that don't make sense rather than things that are surreal it's just like choices that are bizarre and like well why did they do that i don't know yeah like this guy withstanding all this torture but ratting on nami because his mom lectures him because his mom who he's no contact with yeah, like that. And who's obviously totally cool with police beating him up in front of her. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It, it, it's, it's just, it definitely does not have the craft of the other ones. It's an entertaining movie. It has its pieces. You still get her doing her vengeance bit. It's just, you know, it's not, it's not on the same level. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's like a popcorn flick versus an art piece, I think. Yeah. So this is replaced in the stacks with Stray Cat Rock, Delinquent Girl Boss. Oh, oh, fucking shit. Oh, my God. <laughs> You're going to have to convince me to not pick this one. <laughs> uh, a wandering tough biker girl aids a female delinquent gang in their battles against an all male Seiyu group over a fixed boxing match. Uh, I've seen this before. It's great. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> oh my god <laughs> I, I love this cool. uh, Miko Kaji of course is the leader of the gang this yep. is where she got her start it, it's really interesting I don't know if you watched uh, uh, much of the special features they have uh, a piece on Yasuharu Hasebe uh, excuse me Yasuharu Hasebe uh, on this disc of the set which we're concluding which by the way just a great box set this female prisoner scorpion set from Arrow Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. altogether really, really pretty... fucking rad yeah uh, uh, excellent series yeah uh, so they, they have a documentary on Hasabe and his history as well as how he got to know Kaji and worked with her on these films and she was originally like struggling as a teen star in like romance movies and was not fitting in and he's like oh you know, I wonder why I could find a better place for her. You did like some other movie where there's just a brief Yakuza scene. And it's like, oh, she fits there. 
And so this series is just sort of where she went and kind of where her star rose. Hmm. Okay. So it's cool. You know, it's a, it's a fun series. I have seen several of them. I don't think I watched the whole series previously, but we've got the box. Nice. Um, yeah. One of the things in the documentary, and we kind of talked about this in the chat that I was thinking of is they rebooted Scorpion so many times. How would you reboot it in 2023? We kind of came to the conclusion that you can't. I feel like it would be really tough to do just in that I, I it would necessarily have to be a Japanese film. I don't think a U.S. version of this would work. Yeah. Um, just it, it's not the right. Uh, it, 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 it's it's a totally different feel. Uh, you do do kind of need the magical nature. You need uh, the it's almost like a yokai thing you sort of have to have that atmosphere that background yeah like one of the things i was thinking was it'd be cool to see her take out like like the big bulletproof vest tank american cops but i mean that's just going to turn it into an action film yeah and it i i don't even the landscape feels like it it necessarily has to be like you want that village buried in ash from, oh that uh, was so good it's incredible and you just like i i guess you could have her in as a period piece in the u.s if it was set in the 60s or 70s and you had her in like uh just odd roadside americana you know in the serial killer era there it could maybe work I feel like a modern one just totally unworkable in the u.s and, and just european I, I feel like it just doesn't work you need the magic yeah I, yeah this wouldn't work in europe <laughs> so i i guess the other thing was we we were talking about who would even make a movie like this and it would be really difficult because you need to have as we've seen with the transition from uh the the first few few to uh hasebe's direction is that it needs a very precise blend of someone who's pretty political you know it they have to be explicitly feminist uh-huh. to really get the character and they need to have a very strong visual style yeah um i i didn't realize just how much changing the director would just completely change the whole feel of everything mm-hmm. it, it it does speak to auteur theory being kind of a real thing yeah uh, but uh, yeah I, I mean i still like the movie but it definitely oh, sure. it just it becomes a different style of movie basically yeah well they just I like the way in that visual essay they kind of described it. Like she was beginning to like this is a movie about her beginning to find her humanity and then losing mm. it at the last second, which yeah is an appropriate arc for Scorpion. It's just eh, the execution isn't as good. It feels like uh like it, it's it's a non-canon almost. It feels like uh, the additional adventures of Scorpion. You know, we we've had our trilogy. It's it's like a the VHS, the the big clamshell VHS, oh, uh, Little uh, Mermaid two of the series. <laughs> you know, the Ewok movie. Yeah, uh, <laughs> Car- Caravan of Courage. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I guess that's uh pretty much it on. Uh, the Scorpion series, unless people start reissuing some of those reboots, which I check out. They they seem right. like they'd probably be fun. They're just not going to be the same kind of movie. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, I saw, like, 
this other girl wearing the murder outfit and she just looks like a hot girl in a hat and I'm like, like I like hot girls in a hat but it's not she's not the scorpion <laughs> no no uh one other thing the Hasabe documentary it talks about his first film which I really want to see called Black Tight Killers oh and it's just uh there there's a bunch of female ninjas in black tights who uh <laughs> go and do assassinations and shit there's cool. like kidnapping and it's just very mod ridiculous stuff it sounds like they're go-go ninjas all girl <laughs> go-go ninjas uh I, I i just i need to see it it looks really fun <laughs> all right interesting so, uh, do you have any last thoughts on 701's Grudge Song and the Scorpion series? Yeah, another thing that, that the other movies, that this movie did, that the other movies did better was the prison warden got all embarrassed when she didn't show up for the execution. And mm-hmm. there were all these public officials there, but they did the prison warden being embarrassed with pres- public officials present in the second one, but making him shit his pants. And then in the third one, they also had the even, like, both of them did it better because the third one had uh, the thing with that important scroll that that everyone brings out and is very official. And then there's, like, an alarm, so it just gets dropped and everyone tramples it running to go deal with the issue. Oh, yeah, I forgot. Mm. Yeah, they were, like, going to honor the warden or something. Right. It was like, oh, fuck that. We've got more important stuff to do. yeah i forgot about that one but yeah this is just oh well this looks very bad on your record and then you know we're never going to see her again because who cares yeah i mean (laughs) she won't show up again the series is over yeah like i I needed more of a magical retribution at the end if we were going to do something like this uh but yeah you know it's it's interesting it's uh it's like we're doing scorpion in reality this time it's like okay it's it's interesting but It's not my scorpion. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's still Miko Kaji, but it's just not quite the same. The The series is 50 now. God, that's crazy. <laughs> uh, okay, so uh, any final thoughts before we close for or head to part two? No, I think I'm good. All righty. And we're back for part two, where we're talking about the first disc of uh, the lost and saved films of the Ormon family uh, from Indicator. These are, yeah, so these are three, th- I guess three and a half movies. Uh, yeah. Three movies in a featurette. Uh, we've got White, no, we've got Untamed Mistress is the first one. Yeah. From, uh, released in 1951. Uh, we've got Please Don't Touch Me, which is very interesting. Well, they're all interesting in their own right. Yeah, I think Quite definitely like Please Don't... Yeah, Please Don't Touch Me, I think, is definitely the most interesting of the bunch. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, that came out in, like, 1959, and then we got... No, that was finished in 1959, but came out in 1962 for whatever reason. They all have very conflicting dates, like Untamed Mistress on Wikipedia. It has release date 1953, but then at the top, it's Untamed Mistress 1956 film. I I think... uh, (laughs) The disc gets 51. Right. I I think it's much like the Al Adamson system where they're putting these exploitation films together and they're kind of assembling them piece by piece. And 
they have multiple release dates under multiple versions and titles. That uh, that makes sense. There is a bit of an Adamson feel to uh, a lot of these of just kind of throwing together what you have to see if you can make a movie out of it. It's at least with the first one. But it's at a lower level, like a considerably mm-hmm. lower level, I would have to say. Uh, I agree. Like both in terms of production and in terms of skill, although White Lightning Road is closer, just production value wise. In terms of production value, but oh man, <laughs> I I struggle to remember anything that happened in Light, White Lightning Road. It's it it's is hard. <laughs> it's a slumber. Uh, I I I've been going through uh, Jimmy McDonough's uh, book on the Ormonds, the exotic ones, which is oh. a gigantic fucking coffee table book. It's stupid huge. It's way too heavy. Very difficult to read as a result, <laughs> but. So I read up on uh, all th- all four of the movies we're talking about today, and oh, cool. the, the just the basic background and production of them and their association with Reinhold O. Schmidt, who we referenced at the beginning. <laughs> what a fascinating character that guy is! Uh, he uh, they have him playing himself in the dramatic recreations, and he has the the screen presence of a potato. I. As a con man, I can't believe anyone ever trusted a thing he ever said because he just does not seem trustworthy. He he can't speak. No, he's he's not a fast talker. He's not a smooth talker. He's not a wheeler dealer. He's a grain seller or he's a grain buyer. Yeah, he's just like, there. There's no charisma there. He doesn't have any of the qualities that makes a con. I mean, it's easy to see why he got arrested before his film was. <laughs> out but we'll we'll get to that a, a little bit later on uh but yeah I, I i read uh all of the the sections on each of these and all the productions and for all of them he gives a synopsis of all the stuff that happens and you know his points of interest but when he gets to the white lightning road one is like look i'm not going to give you any kind of synopsis for this movie who could possibly care <laughs> <laughs> mind-dumbing like... <laughs> garbage <laughs> and this is their biographer <laughs> so, yeah. yeah you know oh I, I i didn't take notes for white lightning road because i was just kind of like uh just in the group chat mentioning my impressions of everything while it happened and then i went back to it thinking i could refer to that from my notes i'm like i don't remember any of this yeah because no, none of it matters. Like the the plot is vestigial. Really, as we were talking about while you were watching it, the main point is we've got these shots of the car, and we've got these shots of cars on roads, cars on dirt tracks, cars, roads, cars, roads, roads, cars, and that is the whole movie. And then we have this completely vestigial plot once in a while, where we have this one guy and this other guy, and they they race cars, and both both on the track. And on the roads, because for moonshine, because it's a, <laughs> it's it's every exploitation premise type movie, except they they only actually run the moonshine at the very very first scene. All the rest of it, yeah. they're just racing. Right, like they keep mentioning it. It's sort of in the background. It's a thing that's supposed to be happening, but it never happens again. Even though the movie is called White Lightning Road, which is about moonshine, because it's based on this previous movie called white lightning (laughs) (laughs) and there are like dozens upon dozens of characters i can't 
begin to name them all. Uh, Most like, of them are just real people who are in the racing scene. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, it's just these two guys. The whole crime boss plot is vestigial. It doesn't matter. The race barely matters. Nothing matters. Oh, wait, no. White Lightning is a later film. I'm thinking of, I believe it's Thunder Road, which is a moonshine running film that oh. I have seen. And is, yeah, it's, it's all right. Uh, not, not as much as you'd figure it should be, but, you know, it, it wasn't the exploitation version. It's the 50s. Okay. It, it had uh, Robert Mitchum as uh, uh, the, the moonshine runner. Okay, cool um but but yeah <laughs> uh enough about white lightning road for now for now uh for now yeah we we will definitely come back to that and yeah let's talk um, untamed mistress which is probably the most offensive of no hmm. god that's a tough call like both of the first two have so much to offer in terms of offensiveness <laughs> yeah uh they're they're offensive in different ways though it's yeah. like comparing rotten apples to rotten oranges yeah, it, there's I, I guess this one is arguably the more offensive in that it piles on a, a considerable amount of both racism and sexism whereas mm -hmm. uh please don't touch me is very sexism forward yeah yeah um the I shouldn't use the term rotten apples. Please don't touch me, at least, is an interesting movie. I don't think it's crap. It's definitely the most watchable and uh, just compelling of them. I, I feel like the damnedest thing is that all of these movies are incredibly compelling in spite of themselves. Especially they, yeah. this one. Yeah, uh, I by the end of this, at the beginning, I wasn't invested at all. But at the end of this, I was like, holy shit, they went down that road? <laughs> Well, because they, they continually surprise you. I mean, this is a movie from uh, 1956-1953-1951 that has... Probably filmed in the 40s. <laughs> that has a considerable amount of uh, nudity, which was really hard to get past. You know, you, you don't really have uh, bared breasts in uh, even exploitation cinema in the 50s. But the way they got around it. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's okay, shady and gross. And, you know, it, it is exactly what I was talking about. Uh, Jimmy McDonough in the book theorizes the same thing. He's like, I'm pretty sure he got it by it by <laughs> claiming an ethnographic purpose. Because <laughs> they have the stock footage of like the uh, the African tribes. And you know how some of them, they, they're topless. They don't cover their a lot of them. It's not what they do a lot of them yeah and it's not a sex thing it's just how they dress now i can't remember the name of the guy exactly i don't i didn't take notes or anything but you know when i was reading and i don't have the book on me because it's too heavy to have on me uh but uh the all of the stock footage from this movie was shot by mickey rooney's doctor Oh, interesting. You know, Mickey Rooney, diminutive actor, you know, very angry little guy. <laughs> uh, his doctor, somehow the Ormonds were in contact with his personal doctor. <laughs> and he had gone on a trip to Africa and taken just a whole bunch of vacation footage. And they bought it from him. <laughs> That's what this movie is made out of. 
<laughs> and then they filmed scenes of them in front of trees <laughs> reacting to the footage. Oh, and that one set, there's that one obvious, like, it's a Star Trek set, but you only had, like, a small square. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's a very small amount of space. So you just have all these scenes where it's, like, six people tightly in a row facing the camera. It's, like, getting ready to take their school photo. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then we cut to, like, this sweeping huge open savanna which is definitely not where they are or a a giant stone column or like a a castle type edifice with you know heavily built up with you know a hundred people dancing on it (laughs) It, it's like an arena where they're dancing Yeah. yeah it's nuts and then you cut back to these yokels who just are standing in a line uh, like obviously in like some hot shed somewhere in southern california <laughs> and they're like look at that <laughs> <laughs> the little old man cameraman's just like dancing and it's like yes i am dancing with these people and they're dancing with right. me yeah i, I am i i there, there's other dancers that i'm dancing with just on the other side of the frame you see <laughs> oh yeah like that 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 meme with that guy he's yeah, laughing exactly. <laughs> nathan for, nathan for you right right yeah <laughs> uh, um i guess we should introduce our uh characters such as they are are they <laughs> well so uh, my recollection kind of character velda is the one really important one and then we have the dead meat crew um, we, yeah sort of sort of a spoiler but yeah at the end they just get murdered by gorillas which is awesome <laughs> yeah so velda's whole thing was she i guess like her missionary family was attacked in the jungle or whatever and she survived and was raised by gorillas yeah of course so Velda talk like this. Velda love Jack. <laughs> Velda oh, fall in love with white man. Oh no. Yeah, and it has it it leads to the most astonishing line in the film. <laughs> oh I I, I, I suppose do you have it written down? The I, I do line? have it written, okay. written down. Um because they're they're this is a bit further on. They're going deeper into the jungle for they never really say why. Um, research. Right. Science. Yeah, of course. As Velda goes further into the jungle surroundings, would she revert to her former self, or would she remain a white girl? Would she remain a white girl? Like, really made me do a double take. (laughs) Okay, so she is white. Yes, she is white. Like Snow White white. Yeah, because she was a missionary. Yeah. Oh, Oh, of course, that does make sense. Duh. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. But yeah, she is like Snow White, like she's 50s hot. She's got a Rita Hayworth kind of look. She's, you know, it's uh, that that early 50s repressed era where you have someone who's just bulging uh, at, at a very <laughs> tight shirt yes. at all times. And because she's white, she is not allowed to take her breasts out. Whereas uh, the rest of her tribe, as we will later see... <laughs> Are all allowed to. <laughs> yeah, as they're doing their jiggly titty gorilla dance. <laughs> I mean, it's it's an astonishing thing. In, in the McDonough book, he says it's one that made a ton of money. Like, it was a real <laughs> smash. And I can see why. it was. It's a hell of a thing. Like, if 
this happened to be around it's like i kind of like, this would be a word about thing like you kind of have yeah. to see this thing what the hell <laughs> yeah. especially in 1951 to 1956 when it potentially came out <laughs> it's like I, you certainly weren't seeing this hey hey if you see this 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 fucking monkey movie you're gonna see tits no like not not just national geographic tits real tits like and there's so much of the the this i i kind of i wonder about the the doctor's trip and what he was <laughs> filming because there's just it's there's a copious amount of nude footage oh man there is one in particular i noticed of like one of the topless women you know just being topless and then looking at him and Oh, just slowly but visibly getting creeped out and kind of like, like hmm. covering herself up but not really sure what he's looking at that needs to be covered. He's like, what is this about, dude? <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, there, there is a strange vibe to a lot of it. It's like, I don't, I don't know how I feel about this. Uh, it, it's obviously extremely antiquated stuff. But, oh, yeah. Uh, and, of, of course, we... It, we're experiencing it almost in like an America's Funniest Home Video style with <laughs> this crew of fucking dolts uh, reacting to it on the other side of the screen. You know, Bob, Sa the guy kind of reminds me of Bob Saget. <laughs> yeah, he's not a he's not unlike him. I mean, he doesn't have any kind of charisma or capability of making humor. But <laughs> no, yeah, I'm talking like Full House Bob yeah. Saget, not like yeah, yeah. funny Bob Saget yeah the 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 rigid fake uh character uh danny tanner <laughs> that, yeah yeah man i could not believe how different his actual act is holy shit <laughs> yeah <laughs> this guy was like famous as like the 80s dad mm -hmm. uh, oh what, what, what were we talking about so untamed mistress we're like we Velda coming yeah. in. Uh, she was raised by gorillas, and she was, uh, but she was a mistress or a mistress missionary. Yeah, yeah, she was raised by gorillas. Uh, later taken in by the Maharaja after his whole flashback. Yeah, the whole Maharaja thing was bizarre as a place to start. It's like, are we just going to have an entire cast of people in brownface this whole movie i do not want that and then you never see any of those characters again but just gone but the flashback's like half the movie it's so long and like what are we doing none of this matters it's just people the it's the most set it's just like it's all people in a line in a very small area that they had that had foliage and stuff and it looks so fake, and everybody is just obviously in very bad brown face. Yeah, like, the point of the flashback is so that he can take 30 minutes to tell the doctor, hey, once a savage, always a savage. Uh, don't turn your back on Velda. Yeah. That's that's it, basically. And it's, I think, vaguely related to her, or something sort of related to her tribe because it's another gorilla topless lady thing right yeah um the holy man is either is or knows about like this other wild boy that causes trouble for everyone but we never see him do any of it and then he gets captured but we don't see that either it's this whole entire huge backstory that happens completely off screen 
Yeah, I, I mean, because they did not have any sort of budget with which to do any kind of right. things in the movie. They they had the one square of set, and they had someone's backyard. There, there's a very there's various scenes where someone they're on a farm of somebody <laughs> yep. that they know clearly. Oh yes, <laughs> like we've got like the sweeping African jungle, and then the next cut is like it might as well be at the park downtown in our town. Uh, so the holy man played by Nelson Lee, who was, uh, he, he played Toby in Ma Barker's Killer Brood from 1960, oh. an earlier version. Oh, interesting. Covered. Cool. Uh, just, yeah, one of these guys who's in a lot of, uh, really low budget stuff. He's in Creature with the Atom Brain. Oh, <laughs> which not to be confused the... with Fiend with the Electronic or Synthetic no. Brain. No, no, this is a uh, from the same guy who did uh, Giant Claw. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. it's a good yes. one. It's pretty good. Yes, oh, and he's man. he's also in the uh, Sinatra uh, Rat Pack, Ocean's Eleven. He's oh. the doctor in that. He played a lot of doctors. Oh, cool. Um... <laughs> Yeah, so he warns the Maharaja, so the Maharaja can warn our actual cast about the curse of the jungle, which is, don't hunt things if you're not going to eat them, don't, just do nature stuff, don't be a dick. It's very vague. I mean, it's it's a general, like, hey, uh, it's... Take what it's, you need. Well, uh, or just what you need, rather. It's it's essentially the same as, uh, you know, leave only footprints, you know, don't... It's it's uh I mean not not even quite that but you know uh, don't don't mess with nature just to try to uh, not cause a whole lot of problems while you're there it's very it's, obvious shit yeah it's basically it and the Maharaja in his hubris is like well I have to buy this guy's daughter because she's hot and then there's going to be some thing with the gorillas and she's going to run away and whatever well it's they sacrifice the girls to the gorillas yeah but none of the girls have ever been found and um, they but, don't really know why but it the big twist is that uh the girls have been assimilated into the tribe of the gorillas and they're all very busty and uh they they've joined up with the gorillas to kill men <laughs> yeah yeah to, to kill men and do their topless titty dance yeah, well, I mean, you know, for the gorillas, of course, yeah. they're they're the entertainment, but they're also guiding the violence. Yeah, sacrifice me, will you? <laughs> yeah, basically, but yeah, it's another one of those things like we're told, but not really, sh not really showing that the girl that the gorillas cause trouble. No, we we cannot be shown much of anything. I do like the gorilla suits when we get them. I like I them like quite a bit. I like that we have gorillas. We get a bunch of gorilla suits, like a whole bunch of bad gorilla suits, and I love every one of them. In the commentary, they mentioned that uh, apparently Ed Wood stole one of the gorilla suits. That makes perfect sense, yeah. <laughs> and and uh, June Ormond is still mad about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, it's, uh, it's fascinating. Like uh, this, it, They do really feel like they're in the same sphere as Ed Wood. This has a lot of the same flavor as the Ed Wood films, but it's way more cut and paste yeah yeah although i am also surprised at the number of gorilla suits they had like four yeah. or five distinct ones at least 
yeah at, at the climactic uh murder sequence where the the gorillas come up and massacre our, our main characters uh we get a bunch it's like hey this rules why didn't we have more of these and less of all of these rubes standing in a line <laughs> <laughs> Did we need so much of that? I guess it's to build up how much we want them all to be eaten by gorillas. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's kind of funny because like what they're saying isn't even shocking or racist for the time. It's just how people thought back then and then they died. Yeah, it's just dumb. It's just like the them spouting complete nonsense that is totally them making up like again it's it's afv type riffing they're, they're watching ethnography ethnographic <laughs> videos and then they make some off-color comment about it I'm like okay this is a weird movie yeah so after the flashback they go on their first safari they i i guess their trip the whole purpose of their trip is to go into gorilla country to see like actually to see if velda reverse back to being a gorilla person like i think to find out if she's going to stay a white girl is the mission i guess basically to test her and i i think also just to see what's going on you know yeah. it's it's the the urge to exploration it's just you can't show exploration in a film where you don't have any sets <laughs> that is true <laughs> and, and, and like that's why i have so much trouble keeping track of like the backstory that happens off screen because i don't see any of it so i don't it's all off screen visual. yeah i <laughs> don't have the memory of it because it, it doesn't happen in front of me it's like the, almost the entire movie like from uh, the, the movie's like just about like approximately 70 minutes i'd say 50 minutes of it are a bunch of people in a line commenting on Things they're theoretically supposed to be seeing in person, but obviously are in a completely other dimension and time and space from. And then, you know, all of that stock footage, most of it being nude, nude, Aboriginal <laughs> people dancing. That's yeah. almost all you got. And that, that is like practically all of the movie. And then they get killed by gorillas. And it's kind of like, wow, what a thing. Yeah, like, like <laughs> killed by things. gorillas. And busty women with their breasts out. <laughs> like, like for most of it, it really has a feel of uh, the rodeo is really picking up pace. Yeah. It's like, why are we watching all of this uh, stock footage? This is killing me. <laughs> what is this about? Uh, is this leading anywhere? So I, I guess let's skip all that and get to the gorillas, because that's, yeah. that's what we care about. Yeah. Uh, the gorilla suits... They're not good, but they're better than you expect them to be. They're just good enough. Yeah. You know, they're they're maybe even a little better than they have to be. You know, yeah. they, they knew a few people who had good gorilla suits or they had a bunch around because I think they had been distributing for a while. Uh, I haven't read the earlier stuff in it, but they talk about working with Kroger Bab, who's uh, sort of a legend in the exploitation film business going back to the 30s okay uh, he did mom and dad which is sort of the original exploitation film uh, which is you know a scientific discussion about sex and features an actual birth oh uh, and he also i think he did ingagi which is another ladies and uh 
Uh, maybe he only distributed it. I'm looking at it on, on Wikipedia. It's William S. Campbell who directed it. Uh, it's mostly just tons and tons of safari footage. And then there's a thing about gorillas and women being their sex lives. But it's like, again, a thin slice of the movie that's mostly just a whole bunch of safari footage that they had access to. Hmm. Okay, so a lot like this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so the plot basically only happens in the last 10 minutes of the movie. Uh, yeah. They're they're filming Topless Ladies and... Uh, but they don't want Velda to go with her with them because they're worried that the tribes people will recognize her as one of the gorilla people who they're fighting against right now. So yeah. they <laughs> like what must be several hours of topless lady filming. They go back and she's missing, and the two brothers, the doctor and the brother who's in love with Velda, have this big fight. It's like, why can't you see? She's gone home. What's this? It's like the Maharaja said, once a savage, always a savage. Well, I'm going to go find her and prove you wrong. And it turns out she actually did go back to tell the gorillas, like, hey, I'm going to go live with this white fucker in America. And the gorillas are like, what? They're pissed off about this. It's like, no, you left us. You're finally back. It turns into a big bloody fight. Yeah, they they kill everyone. The the gorillas yeah. obviously can defeat all our crappy heroes who never did a single bit of exploration or had any sort of purpose. Yeah, yeah, like um, Cyril, the little, the sweet little old man, gets hugged to death. Uh, Jack gets freaking stomped. Of course, I mean you gotta stomp the hero down. Yeah, and the the doctor, <laughs> two gorillas, take off his shirt to death. <laughs> yeah. I think the idea is that he's supposed to be like torn up or like ripped in half, but obviously they had no effects budget. Yeah. So it's like they pull on him and he dies. It's like uh how in I'm a gonna get you sucker, they they wore gold chains and died of it. <laughs> I don't know. The shirt was the only thing keeping his soul in his body. <laughs> yeah, it was ready to go the whole movie. And then the gorilla carries away the unconscious, uh, maybe not alive Velda. It's hard to say. The end. Yeah, I, I would say probably that she is alive and that she's being reassimilated into her tribe. Uh, and yeah, I should say gorillas as well as a whole bunch of uh, just like locally hired uh black women that oh, they yes. got to have their tits out because they had all the ethnographic breasts and the rest of it so uh you know they they could probably get away with that and i guess they did somehow I guess they did. <laughs> it's like yeah no this is just more of that footage you see the gorilla it's i mean it's truly an astonishing thing to exist it's not good by any means no no it's, it's not but <laughs> the the ending especially makes it really compelling and uh i mean getting there is rough it's it's a slog for even being 70 minutes oh yeah the, these things are all probably about twice as long as they need to be white lightning road is about five times the length it needs to be white lightning road has practically well, it, it has a fair amount of plot considering how little time space it takes up within the film, because the amount of plot that it has 
could fill up the space more, I suppose, but it doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, there is a lot of plot and characters just condensed into about 10 minutes, but then spread out over 90 minutes. Yeah. It's weird. It's it's a hell of a thing. So uh, should we move on to <laughs> Please Don't Touch Me? Which well, is easily the most interesting of the bunch. It, I, I agree it is. But I'm thinking because Please Don't Touch Me begins with the Schmitty cameo. Do you maybe want oh. to start with him first? Cause... Yeah. Let's let's get into briefly talk about Edge of Tomorrow, which is in the special features on this first disc of the set. So... It's an interview with this guy who has the charisma of a wet potato. So he, it was uh, meant to be a TV special, I think. <laughs> uh, they, as he, they, they talk about in or Jimmy McDonough mentions in the book, the Exotic Ones book, that he he was sort of he was a fraud. He's he's a pretty obvious hoax huckster kind of. Uh, really bad at it kind of dude. Uh, I really love my favorite thing in this documentary is that this uh, this interviewer guy who I don't think was a professional interviewer uh, keeps really? call exclusively calls him Schmitty. Yeah, never <laughs> Mr. Schmidt or Reinhold O. Schmidt or whatever. It is Schmitty. Uh, so, do you think Schmitty? And uh, <laughs> anyway, it has the feel of uh, Homer just calling frank grimes grimy and then that just becomes his name now yeah uh so the the thing was uh before this ended up coming out uh our, our guy schmitty got arrested for fraud <laughs> <laughs> and they showed this on or they showed this at his trial <laughs> as, as evidence that he was lying like i i would have to assume that it was evidence against him with that incredible final shot which really cracks me up as well uh where where he swears on a bible and <laughs> like the, the he, he swears on the bible and then the interviewer like points at the bible and he like gestures towards it and he lifts it up and he like runs his hand under the letters holy bible and he's like giving you a look it's like oh you see he swore on the bible now that's how you know that this story is true uh true true as hell uh but uh, yeah he, and he he was found guilty real quick they, they oh, deliberated what? for four and a half hours <laughs> wow uh, so his story doesn't make any sense no I, he doesn't know how to talk I, he can't construct any sort of story i don't know how he thought anyone would believe him I, I, as again his, from the trial they they said that his defense was that he couldn't be expected to be held responsible for things said by people from saturn and that he was just <laughs> communicating what they said yeah. so let's 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 talk about what his story is uh what these... is his story honestly some people <laughs> from saturn met him one time well yeah basically he was he's not now he wasn't abducted is the first uh big deviation of the story he was not taken against his will he wasn't taken at all his car just died and he just walked over to the ship 
He felt He's like, it. Hey, hey, what's going on? Uh, my my car broke down. You aliens, where where are you from? And because they they in in his mind, he says they look like people. And he he later adjusted to be like they're beautiful women. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There there's one guy who I figured was supposed to be a man in black. And at first, I was like, man, I think it's really cool that he's actually noticed all these details and he's recalling it and it's not vague but the way he knows all the details is that the aliens just openly told it to him yeah he can't be held responsible for what people from saturn are saying (laughs) yeah so (laughs) the ship's just parked in a field his car breaks down he just comes on board and they're like hi we'll answer all your questions about stuff but he's too stupid to ask any kind of valuable question. There, like it, every conversation they have with him is like that Mister Thompson conversation with Homer Simpson. Because <laughs> getting him around to learning a point is next to impossible. So that they're they're giving him the most useless information. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's so roundabout. Every the way he talks about everything. The, the interviewer has to interpret it and turn it into something that makes sense as he's like trying to describe their underwater propulsion system he's like oh so it kind of works a little bit like this i guess you could say that yeah yeah he, he's he's yes ending it he, he, he is yes ending. <laughs> <laughs> but like the thing is the purpose there doesn't appear to be a purpose for the aliens visit or why they're interested in this rain buyer no although it does have a, a kind of a similar flavor to the tall white sky mm. you know the the guy who uh really low level uh military guy who claimed to have met the tall whites yeah so not that i necessarily think that any of these people have gone aboard spaceships but there's a difference between people who have experienced something they can't explain and they think that this is what it is and people who are just full of shit they're just making the whole thing up completely which is this guy he is a complete hoaxer there's nothing about him that is real and he's transparently a hoaxer he doesn't he 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 has no none of the i know what i saw energy there's none of that with him he it's completely gone he's, uh well uh, you see what you know i didn't want to take the lie detector test because the lie detector test you see well if they they told me to take the lie detector test i thought that they should take the lie detector test first and maybe I they was, should pay me for it i was too tired <laughs> but they i uh, they went they made me take medical and or mental analysis at the hospital and i said i'm not paying for it <laughs> yeah there's a lot I, of i'm not paying for it who's paying the bills for this and then a lot of well, because i wasn't paying for it i made them give me every test that they could give me at the hospital <laughs> yeah and, and they I'm proved just, that i was saying <laughs> <laughs> i'm just imagining the interviewer like i really want to ask this guy hey you know we this is real easy to fact check right I I really want him to like lift up a hand and have a certified sane stamp on the back of his hand, you know, like Homer. Yes. <laughs> He's uh-huh. just such an absurd character. Like what what a ridiculous man he is. And it's mostly him in this room reciting <laughs> this story in the most impossibly uninteresting and roundabout ways. But it's like 
I don't need it's it's the onion on your belt, onion on my belt type of <laughs> circuitous reasoning. Basically, and, yes. And, they and do the like, interviewer is not doing much. He doesn't know what he's doing either. <laughs> well, I wonder if it's him not knowing what he's doing or just him not knowing what to do with this particular guy. I don't know. I mean, he he does not seem to be a professional dude. Yeah. <laughs> he's just calling him Schmitty the whole movie. <laughs> and, and whenever like Schmitty would go off into a long explanation, he would just kind of trail off and we'd turn to this like dramatization featuring him playing as himself, trying to <laughs> Stroke act. Stroke of genius. Now. <laughs> oh, amazing. What what a good choice. <laughs> like <laughs> I mean, honestly, this it's it's the shittiest production value of any of the four here. Oh, it is by far. It is the crappiest. I'd say I laughed more at this one than any of them. More consistently at this one than any of them. I would say that definitely please don't touch me is the most interesting, but this one I laughed. I laughed all the time. <laughs> every time he like opens his mouth and he just i they had to do the dramatizations because you couldn't grasp what he was saying without the visual aspect to it because he wasn't talking like people talk no it, it was complete nonsense it's like the way uh fucking uh a serial killer writes things <laughs> but because it had to come from his story, the whole thing still felt like one of those early um, we fed fifty seven Seinfeld episodes into scripts for Seinfeld episodes into an AI, and here's what it spat out. Right, his his concepts. It's much like you know, it's the testimonies in the uh, Satanic Panic with the children and the the, the who who claim to be flushed down the toilet and then they went <laughs> to resurfaced in another place, a different house where they were assaulted, and. Like he he says they showed up and like oh we're gonna go to Alaska and then we're gonna take you to Egypt from Alaska and he's like <laughs> yeah. oh well can you bring my Buick along like sure <laughs> oh yeah, I love that part because the interviewer <laughs> actually paused and they <laughs> and they like cut away from him and I'm just thinking I bet he sat there stunned for like a solid thirty seconds. I, I feel like you you cut just before he leans down and like rubs the bridge of his nose and goes, ah, so schmitty. <laughs> so why are they taking you to all these different places? Oh, no, you're not asking me that in the show. No, I'm not. It's uh, so, yeah, he ended up going to jail very soon after, but <laughs> not before, I guess, he appears in Please Don't Touch Me in a very key role, as it turns out. An important character, it turns out. <laughs> <laughs> this guy couldn't act in an interview about himself. They cast him in one of the most important roles in this film, although he's, he doesn't have a lot to say. He's the guy who rescues say. her. Yeah. Well, he doesn't get to say anything, thankfully. Yeah. He's just roasting some weenies. So yeah, let's get into Please Don't Touch Me. Yeah, uh, it's like 16 different movies right at the start. <laughs> oh yeah, so it begins with uh, with uh, this woman. Uh, her The character's name is Vicky Karen. I, I didn't get the actress's name. It's because it, nobody knows it. Uh, she is Vicky Karen. She is uncredited. Okay. The, uh, yeah, the commentary suggests that she doesn't want to be associated with this. 
it's not even that like she just like she never acted again uh she does uh she still works in the entertainment business in like a different path i guess is what i got from the book okay. and uh yeah she just she did it when she was 17 and she just thought it was yeah. really weird uh the the ormonds knew her parent or one of her parents from having uh worked as an extra in one of their films previously in like the the westerns which this has a few echoes of their westerns because Lash LaRue is her doctor. He kind of reminds me of um, if, um, oh, I'm trying to think of who, if like Rod Sterling was my doctor, or maybe like if Regis Philbin, not Regis though. But like Lash LaRue, he was known for being kind of like a really nasty bad or like hero like he he, oh. he whipped the bad guys he, he, he that was what he was known for because he's lash yeah jesus okay cool uh so his his movie king of the bullwhip is coming soon from gold ninja video oh, uh, which is an ormond's picture as well oh. so uh i'll hopefully get that sometime soon yeah so so we don't get to him for a bit we get to uh the the stalking scene in the park where we've got uh yeah vicky karen who is 15 her character is 15 in this and i and i was just thinking the whole time she does not look 15 there's she no looks way like this she's, woman's a teenager well it's a couple but things she one she looks like she's 25 but yes. she also looks like she's from another dimension compared to the rest of these people she's like she looks like a supermodel, whereas all of the rest of them are kind of weird potato-faced uh, early 40s Z-movie actors. Like, they're not even <laughs> in the B-movies. They're, like, the, the next tier down. I mean, she the first person she shares a screen with is Schmitty. <laughs> it's Schmitty. She just walks by him while he's roasting weenies next to the side of a road for some reason. Well, I guess it's like a, like a park. I don't it's, know. It's just, you know, it's the South. Yeah. So, yeah, she, she goes by and there's just this dude stalking her. Yeah. A uh, a rapist, although we'll later find out he's technically not a rapist, but I think it should still count. Or, you know, even is he? Like, how much of the, the story was walked back to, oh. uh, you know, it, I, I, I wonder how much of this is, let's just pretend that trauma didn't happen so that we can fix you. Uh, it's a, so that you can do your wifely duties as we wish you to do them. Or or the other side of it, maybe the guy, there was no guy who attacked her. She just passed out on the side of the road. Schmitty found her and the bomb made up this whole shit. It could be. And I think, uh, I, I think I don't really quite buy that. I but, don't either, but. Uh, I, I think, uh in the book they have uh, a critique of it by Kirla Janice who I mentioned uh, she's the one who curated the folk horror box oh okay uh, and did the documentary at the start of that I think and uh, did the House of Psychotic Women book and collection and a really excellent uh, Canadian feminist film critic so she does a critique on Please Don't Touch Me and talks about how uh, the part of it is at the beginning, she has this female support structure and she's able to openly talk about any issues in her marriage and they're able to discuss and work through them. And then by the end of it, 
she has been actively cut off from that support who has been oh. discarded and her uh her trauma has been written off as a thing that actually didn't happen and she's gone to this weird hypnotist who has you know scientology e-meters and shit <laughs> oh oh yeah the the actual l ron hubbard e-meter makes an appearance well he didn't invent no. it he just patented he didn't invent anything but yeah it's it's i mean all of that stuff is in there so th that is definitely the vibe i felt at the end of the movie is like i feel weird about this i feel um, like uh she's just been convinced that uh things didn't happen so that uh she could uh be what her husband needs her to be and her husband is a freak by the way <laughs> oh uh, that, that scene with the underwear oh my god oh my god yeah <laughs> I had for, on the second watch through with the commentary and the guy's just like, what is happening here? Like, what do you do in this situation? Oh, look, he's ripping the underwear apart with his teeth. This is like the room energy. It's really intense. Like, wow, wow. And it is, again, I think this is still the 50s. Like it maybe is early 60s by this point. Uh, no, we are still in the 50s. It was released uh, well, on Supposedly. the disc, it was released in 1959. <laughs> okay, so yeah, I mean, it, it is a strange flavor for that period. Like, I, I've, I don't think you frequently saw the supposed male lead who uh, were supposed to be behind. I guess. I guess. Uh, just eat a pair of his wife's <laughs> lingerie furiously because she won't have sex with him. Uh, I mean, that's a hell of a thing. That that is, that is... The, that's what the Ormonds bring to you is every few scenes you'll get one thing's like that is a hell of a fucking thing. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh another hell of a thing is the history of hypnosis documentary that the mm. film starts with. Right. So we we have the rape or what is supposed to be the rape or what yeah. is maybe a rape we have an attack hard cuts to the title with uh the spinning hypnotism thing going back and forth and like oh my god the movie's hypnotizing us and it's like oh, let's see a history of hypnotism yep um, hypnotism can be used for many things including this true story about how it fixes a self-destructing marriage and i'm like uh oh i already don't like where this is going <laughs> yeah man, this is this is troubling and then we get mesmer himself and uh... so that's <laughs> so that's ron ormond right mesmer? um no okay uh the i i mean it, i think this is just a guy called like there there is an actual dude called mesmer it's oh, where the word okay. mesmerism comes from. He was like the first great hypnotist or most first really famous hypnotist. Right. Uh, but Ormond, uh, Dr. Ormond is the guy who comes to perform the hypnotism later. And he's the guy Ron Ormond took his name from. Or he's right. Ormond something, Dr. Ormond, like it's his first name. No, actually, I wrote it down because I was taking the notes as I was listening to the commentary. It is Ron Ormond as mesmer in this opening oh okay bit. so he's playing him he's playing him yes yeah uh although he like did stage magician stuff apparently too i mean uh, he's a vaudeville guy the the whole family goes oh back to well vaudeville. then of course that makes sense yeah okay yeah uh <laughs> we got all these shots of like just different things that apparently is not really related to our plot because it's about how hypnotism can 
make you not feel pain. It's just, it's just that a is Mondo completely film. related to our plot. Yeah, I mean, th- this is a Mondo film before the Mondo film existed. Mondo Kane is the the film that sort of names the genre. But this is just like, hey, I have a bunch of other stock footage. You know, <laughs> I, like we we had all that stock footage last time. How about a bunch of stock footage of people committing violence to their bodies for religious or whatever purposes like okay gross cool watch (laughs) watch this guy lie down on a bed of nails watch that dude's gigantic testicles oh that that fucking image of the guy's like mammoth testicles yeah i mean this is for 1959 this is like faces of death <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, it's like and, this is nuts and they're saying like hey this is what we use for anesthetic for all these different surgeries i'm like oh my god i'm glad i didn't get sick in the 50s <laughs> yeah ew uh it's it's a lot of gross stuff and it's like a solid 15 minutes it's like okay yeah, so we're just gonna 20. yeah do a full history of all of this stuff and then suddenly we're like smashing back into like oh yeah now there was this story that we were talking about yeah so remember remember the hot girl who got raped who uh who was 17 god damn it uh yeah so we she's having a conversation with her mom uh and basically talking about how oh you know things with my husband bill aren't that great you know i just haven't been feeling myself lately that's how she always refers to it yeah it's strange it's always lately as if they at some point had a healthy sex life it doesn't seem like they ever have no they haven't they've been married for four months and knew each other for three months before that they might have had sex once maybe I kind of don't think they have because the on the wedding night was when they were going to and then, oh, yeah, and then she couldn't. Right, because she had the PTSD. It's a PTSD yeah. attack is what she had. They don't call it that, yeah. but that's what yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, she has a panic attack because uh, she, you know, flashes back to the experience that she had. And yeah. or maybe she didn't have it. Oh, maybe. Uh, yeah. Yeah, you know, uh, you know uh, post by Elon Musk with a thinking emoji concerning mm-hmm concerning <laughs> oh, fuck. yeah so so the mom kind of reminds me of like an inverse mom from the room still doesn't seem mm-hmm. to want what's best for the daughter but while the mom from the room wants her to stay with tommy even though he allegedly beats the shit out of her but that's a whole different thing this mom just wants her to break up with her husband no matter what just well oh, you're not feeling great you should break up with your husband I, both of these feel like they come from the exact same issue of them being written from the theoretical spurned husband point of view. Both of these films are written uh, and entirely existing through the POV of fucking lingerie eater guy. Uh, we're, we're seeing his projection of his mother-in-law. You know, and, and it's true because we have a dream sequence of him that demonizes the mother. Yeah. Uh, and actually, I wanted to I wanted to mention something. I'm glad you mentioned you brought this up because even though Vicky should be the main character, you're right. It is completely told from the point of view of the shitty husband. Yeah, and the the characters exist 
through his POV and especially the, the mother-in-law, like I watching the movie, I never thought of her as the mom. I thought of her as the mother-in-law character. She's yes. a stereotype mother-in-law. She She's like the, the one who like beats up Fred Flintstone every time she yeah. comes over. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But on, on the front of the, of the case, it's got a woman in, in a nightgown and, it says, yeah. why did marriage have to be this cruel and ugly? Why couldn't it bring me the happiness I longed for? And it doesn't really make sense coming from her. No. Think Things about it this like... way. Now, just oh, imagine if he yeah, said, yeah. why did marriage have to be this cruel and ugly? Why couldn't it bring me the <laughs> happiness I longed for? Now it makes sense. Or, I mean, there, there's that as well, but I, I think uh, to an extent it's... We're also seeing his perspective on how he's treating it that mm. <laughs> he's being very sensitive and and not uh being at all weird about it and uh not you know immediately forcing her into therapy and deciding that her uh mother made up the whole rape scenario etc yeah although he does say like after the mother goes home they they try to have sex again he's bought her this sexy lingerie and she's like oh well i've got another headache okay well i'll go out and buy you some aspirin but you know, I don't mind you having these headaches, honey, but it's really starting to affect me personally. Right. Yeah. And it, it's it's his pain that we're kind of supposed to be focused on, I think. Yeah. Which is it, sort of a strange thing. And that's why uh, the, the scene of him uh, jawing apart the, the fucking panties is like, okay, I guess this is him having his outlet because he couldn't have sex yeah yeah actually yeah that that's basically happens right after yeah right after it's, this. it's the lingerie yeah <laughs> yeah she he goes out to buy the aspirin because she's got a headache and then when he comes home she's gone and the lingerie is on the bed and he just fucking has a i'm tired of this world moment Ah, he he just—it's. It, i mean it's it's just that he goes at it with his teeth that yeah. makes it especially visceral yeah, and like he rips it apart, like Saturn devouring his wife's lingerie. Yeah, it's it's really nuts, and it's like, okay, you have problems. I have not seen big problems of like dangerous mania on the side of the wife. Like she no, is she's... a little troubled by you know something that happened to her. Uh, um, reasonably what is troubled his by deal? it, I'd say. His deal is fucking nuts. What is this about? Who does that? <laughs> well, uh, they they take Vicky to the doctor. Yeah, because <laughs> she's the one with Doctor Lash Larue. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, yeah, he he's basically like he's he's not a doctor. He does not seem like he's a doctor. Uh, that is one He's... thing that I have to disagree with Jimmy McDonough on, who says he gives a sensitive and thoughtful performance. And it's like, uh, he just seems like a grizzled old Western star who should not be giving psych uh, psychiatric advice. <laughs> well, yeah, he, he's like, he's saying, uh, well, do you think that the reason that you are not wanting to have sex is related to your rape? Um Yeah. <laughs> elegantly phrased uh do you think it might help if i brought out my whip and whipped you a bit would that fix matters that used to always fix matters 
Well, my friend Elron just gave me this machine here, and it's going to tell me <laughs> what's really on your mind. Just, uh, yeah, it's it's cramming in every little piece of pseudoscience. Like that's the amazing thing about this movie is that every nook and cranny of it has something weird in it. <laughs> like what is going on i i am <laughs> perplexed by everything yeah um so yeah they determined that she's lying when she says that she's over the rape big shock um, <laughs> yeah no kidding yeah and and they're also kind of determining that maybe oh he has to kick the mother out actually because she keeps yes. answering for the daughter and every right. time the or the door opens a crack you just see the mother's like face just, yeah, just waiting outside <laughs> oh uh, be before the doctor's appointment is bill's dream though of uh, vicky just dancing in the wind in her sexy lingerie and then the mother just teleports in between them and she is standing in the way and won't let vicky have sex with him i mean it is the most thuddingly obvious metaphor you've ever seen in your life <laughs> yeah and it is like oh and he's right and it's the solution to the movie is you just remove the mother and the support system and you say that trauma didn't happen and then she's <laughs> perfectly good <laughs> well after the e-meter the doctor basically decides like all right well we're gonna do some hypnosis but don't you worry we'll have you a fucking your husband by the end of the day right we, we bring in ormond mcgill yeah now, he's an actual hypnotist, right? Well, as much as he... an actual hypnotist well, as you can be. I, yes, I mean, he's, okay, yes. He's one of these kind of guys. He did psychic surgery. He wrote a bunch of uh, books on this. Uh, Religious Mysteries of the or Orient into the Strange Unknown. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, the Master Method of Hypnosis, the Art of Meditation, and the Magical Pendulum of the Orient. See, the thing about it, all that shit isn't unknown. Those eastern countries, China, Japan, they documented the fuck out of everything. It's yeah. known. You can just read it. Well, it, if it were real, but he's he's oh, you know, it's, like it's the, the unknown because he's making it up. The of Asia. Yeah, it's it's yeah. Uh, we're we're doing your Scientology audit to make sure that you're telling the <laughs> truth about this rape that happened to you. I feel a little suspicious about that happening because it's a little inconvenient for me. Uh, I, I should <laughs> oh, mention fuck. those <laughs> those last three books were co-written by Ron Ormond. Oh, so you know they were really deep together. I mean, he renamed himself after this guy, which is yeah, but... that, that's a whole crazy thing. Yeah, that's interesting. When when they mentioned that in the commentary track, I was like, I must be hearing this wrong, or there must be some <laughs> other context, or there's got to be something more to this than just he I named take himself it? after this guy just because. I mean, there there's probably a lot to it. I I, I haven't read the early parts of the book. I kind of just skipped to the movies here. Uh, I will get into the whole thing, but I believe both of them were vaudeville people and like. Uh, Ron Ormond was a Vittorio Dinario or Vittorio Dinaro, born in Baldwin, Louisiana, and uh, I think both of them like he was a child star in in vaudeville, and McGill Ormond McGill was doing his magician hypnotist vaudeville act, and probably you know befriended him. He's like, oh, you know, this is going to be my stage name. And he became Ron Ormond. Uh, originally R-A-H-N, Ron. <laughs> All right. Yeah. 
so they they do hypnotize her. They find out that the problem happened. The problem of her frigidity, which uh, yeah, that <laughs> will teach your wife to stop being a frigid bitch. I mean that that isn't just a classic fifties uh, thing. That's just big in these movies, fifties and sixties. Yeah, I, it bugs me though. <laughs> uh, yeah, so. Fell out of fashion. (laughs) Somehow. (laughs) Hmm. (laughs) So so it uh it activated the attack happened. The the panic attack happened when he cut turned out the light and his hand was on her face. Uh the ring reminded her of the ring of the guy who attacked her. And the darkness is like when she reminds her of when she blacked out. So it just kind of transported her back there and that's how she became all please don't touch me. Right. They they figure some very specific set of circumstances like, OK, well, you, you just don't wear the ring when you're making out and let's just keep the lights on and kind of ease into it. And then it'll probably all be fine. And we'll just also tell her that, by the way, that rape probably didn't happen. Didn't oh, the mother yeah. maybe make that up? Yeah. Yeah. Through hypnotism, they determined that he didn't complete the rape. And as I said in the group chat, if the penis don't go in, it ain't a sin. Well, yeah, because uh, fucking uh schmitty to the rescue he fucking yeah. dropped his barbecue and ran over and kicked the guy over before he got his dick out so it's like no it was fine everything was fine i mean did in it. this version yeah in in the the final revised edition uh of her memory when we get to the end yeah yeah and then and then it's like now when you wake up you will just not have ptsd anymore You'll be fine. You're going to wake up and you're just going to, you'll remember that this thing didn't actually happen. And it was just your evil, evil mother who's been making all this up to drive a spike between you and your wonderful, perfect husband who doesn't go crazy and eat underwear uh, anytime. Uh, Probably just definitely uh, on the right path. Uh, We're going to just make you cut all ties with your mother right now. That's probably best. Yeah, yeah. And like we're gonna sit we're gonna take your mother aside and be like all right stop yeah you just your need daughter to, just you need to leave her alone for her mental health sake uh, well okay. for his really but yeah they they frame it as for hers yeah yeah and she is god <laughs> and she's like oh i'll stay away all right stay away forever and, then and she, she tries to up. call, but they yeah they they don't answer the phone. Yeah, the <laughs> <Okay>. end. <laughs> the end. They're 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 having sex now because she's cured. Yep. Truly a hell of a thing. I'd say it's easily the most interesting, if not the best. It is the one with the most coherent plot. It has a conflict, a resolution, a beginning, a middle, an end. It has the least superfluous. It has the least extraneous stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, and all of the stuff that's extraneous is fucking interesting. Yes. Like, it, it is the one that does its exploitation more expertly than any other. Like, right from the poster. That poster is so striking. It's really catchy. <laughs> like, why did marriage have to be like this cruel, ugly? <laughs> yeah, like, this poster makes it look like it's a movie about maybe an abusive husband, but... Which maybe it is. Maybe it is, but that's not what the movie (laughs) wants us to think. 
or does it? That's the damnedest thing with these fucking Ormon movies is they they are populist. They want to play everywhere. So they they can have their cake and eat it too. They'll you have know, like <laughs> Yeah, depending how the I can't tell if this is self-aware. Like it's it's amazing because like mother-in-law the... dream just felt like a parody of these things. It's so funny. It's so ridiculous. But it's also we know they're not exceptionally skilled as filmmakers. We know <laughs> it, it, it could just be they only have the sledgehammer because you know <laughs> later on we have those Christian films which are bonkers. Oh right. Yeah, you were <laughs> saying about that. It, uh, the the first one in the Christian films, I think, is uh, "If Footmen Tire You," or "What Will Horses Do," and it is about a communist takeover of the United States, <gasps> where you know they're gunning down good Christians in the streets and shit. And no. oh, I'm excited to get to that shit. That's going to be crazy. Not the commies, <laughs> but you know, I, even the first one where <laughs> the main characters all get eaten by gorillas. Uh, yeah like it's like okay <laughs> it's like the, that kind of feels like the movie is saying hey these guys with their outdated racist views aren't correct but and are they and saying in this that? one well i don't know and in this one i mean i think i'm pretty sure they're aligned with ormond mcgill because that's like his best yeah. bud but at the same time it has all of that stuff in there to make you be able to read it the other way and i don't know how much of that's intentional because i don't feel like they're that skilled <laughs> it's just them trying to be everything to everyone and it sort of works more than i've seen it work like i don't like these movies but i do like them they're so entertaining to watch but a lot of the time i'm like mad at it <laughs> <laughs> well that's what you said to me that i would both love and hate them and after the first yeah. one i was like okay yeah yeah you get the vibe real quick. They're they're like Doris Wishman, but not because they're much more chaotic. <laughs> well, they, they get out of the the apartment once in a while. They get out. <laughs> it's really only that first one that they only had that one square of space. <laughs> they get out of the apartment and uh, into cars, cars and roads, roads and cars, roads and cars, and white lightning roads and cars. Not a lot else. No, there's very little else. You have the plot. You've got our guy who looks like Butthead. <laughs> so his his name is at the it's the character and the actor is named Snake Richards. Earl Snake Richards, who is uh, or better known as Earl Sinks or Henry Earl Sinks. Don't know. Uh, I I don't know. The, the I'm, <laughs> I'm on his Wikipedia page. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, he he was a singer for the Crickets post Buddy Holly. Oh, oh wow! Yeah. Well, we you he does not look like Buddy Holly. No, no, he does not. He d did become more of a country star and did like Nashville for years, uh, which does seem more accurate. He see he looks like more of a rockabilly guy. Like if Butthead were in real life and were a rockabilly cat, that's fucking Snake. Yep. Yep. <laughs> and. <laughs> he he's our i guess he's our villain he's the antagonist yeah i mean there's this whole crime boss thing but that kind of happens in the background he's not really our hero's villain it's weird because he has a rivalry with the hero the both of them they're they're rivals on the track yep. and the rivals off the track in their moonshining business except 
most of that doesn't actually happen. We're mostly rivals on the track. Yeah. <laughs> because we, it's mostly a movie on the track. It is about 75 to 80% of this movie takes place on the racetrack while the characters are engaged in an active race. Yeah, there, there's very little else. And to that degree, the production value just rockets up into the stratosphere compared to the other ones where you just have all of this pretty good in-car footage of all these dirt track, uh, dirt track races, which is cool. Yeah, yeah. And like, this isn't stock footage. They went out and shot this. Yeah. And, you know, it's all the actual race car drivers or the actors. You have the race car announcers as real guys, and they are real, real race car announcers. They are so real race car announcers. <laughs> but they, they, the guy seems to be bored with the story told by the movie and would rather announce the race that he's watching. Yeah. And of course, we also have a handful of people who we frequently see in the stands. And then there's obviously the love interests for each of the guys, uh, including one who is, you know, the, just the most obvious uh, a Daisy Dukes. Daisy Dukes. <laughs> she, oh, Ruby is the Daisy Dukes. Yeah. So it's this whole love triangle thing. Ruby is in love with Joe. Snake is in love with Ruby. And Joe is in love with Carr. Yeah, he just wants Carr. Carr <laughs> is really the important thing. He's it's... really in line with the movie. <laughs> it's like that uh, that Barbie movie clip that's going around where it's like Ken's like, I guess my job is beach. <laughs> yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> His that... job is Carr. He, is... he just, he does Carr. Yeah. Um... And he does Carr well. That's really his whole deal. Yeah, he does car well um, because he decided that it, the best way to race cars is not to become an Italian police officer, but to become <laughs> an American race car driver. What a novelty. Yeah, although he does do his moonshine run and we do start with that. He has to Because we're never going to get back to cops. it. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly no fucking moonshining after the initial... <laughs> Okay, what balls naming it White Lightning Road and just never coming back to this? <laughs> yeah, like, oh man, can't wait to see this guy get off the track and do some action car stuff. He's I mean, not the funniest, gonna... <laughs> no, I, I mean, even the funniest thing is that there's the, the little kid hanger on who is also always asking when he's going to go do the moonshining again. It's like, <laughs> when are you going to do the moonshining again? I want to go with you. It's going to be fun. He's like the audience. Like, are you going to do any action stuff anytime soon? It's like, what's up here? Yeah. So uh, the first 40 minutes of the movie is him racing <laughs> just, against Butthead. It's just race footage. All, all original. It's pretty good, but it's just like, sit back and watch race footage <laughs> yeah uh we we get like introductions of characters by being introduced to them watching the race uh we got slick uh played by ron ormond himself yeah uh, he's one and, of the bad guys yep he's the crime boss we've got gimpy who seems like he's the crime boss's henchman and he knows about the crimes but he has a heart of gold and he's really into Star Wars. He's an undergrad at a local community college. <laughs> uh, well, that, that's kind of in line because the other the other guy in the crime organization would be the Rocco. Yeah, that is true. He is basically Rocco. 
<laughs> it sure is funny when we needlessly killed that guy publicly. <laughs> and that ends them. That ruins their whole, whole oh, game. Oh, yeah. That kills his criminal empire. <laughs> uh, we've got... We, we've got a hamburger guy. Oh, yeah. I love hamburger guys. Just every time we see him, he's just shoving another hamburger in his mouth. <laughs> he's one of our featured extras, I guess. Yeah. Uh, we got Ruby's paw, who I guess is the moonshine dealer. He's the one who, like that. who would give these people moonshine runs if they were doing the runs. Yeah, and he has a shotgun, and so he gets to be the proprietor of the um, completely essential shotgun wedding. Oh, the shotgun wedding does not affect the plot at all. <laughs> no, but you have to have it. I mean, it's a, it's a, this is like proto exploitation. This is a, a movie about the South, and you got to have every single cliche in there. <laughs> so after the first race, which uh, of course Joe wins, although some there's some shenanigans with the spark plugs that he bought from his rival. Oh, yeah, you this, sold me bad plugs. So the damnedest his the the villainous scheme of that was just like <laughs> I'm gonna ruin my business by selling cheap merchandise that doesn't work to my most prominent and famous client, the one who, if the his the, the stuff fails, you know it's the most public that it could possibly fail. <laughs> yeah, I'm why is my sell- business failing? <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna sell him shitty parts so that when his car breaks, he has to come to me and buy more parts, and then that's how I'll make all the money off of his moonshine business. It's like, well, why why wouldn't he go anywhere else? It's like, probably isn't anywhere else. Shit. <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, they, there's a bunch of guys with race cars. If he had the market cornered, I, I feel like he wouldn't need to pull these sorts of shenanigans. Well, it turns out like uh, uh, Slick, because he's telling his whole master plan to Slick, and Slick's like, why don't I just cut out you and hire this guy to be my moonshine guy? <laughs> yeah, it's like, well, what do you, what what do you do? Do you do anything other than try to do less? Like, well, not really. Like, <laughs> I'm cutting you out. <laughs> well, let me beat him in the race first, and then, and of course, he loses the race. Yeah, necessarily. He's you know, it's it's one of those. Well, I I have it under. Uh, under good authority that santo's definitely gonna die in the rain tonight <laughs> yeah so uh gimpy and slick go and hire joe and it's like hey we need you to be our race guy i'm going to build a race car empire and we're gonna conquer daytona somehow and also you're gonna do moonshine for me but race car mostly race car i mean honestly they have this moonshine thing in the background but it's almost like they're not really doing it (laughs) it's the thing we were talking about regarding uh, we're we're definitely gonna go legitimate storylines it's like oh we (laughs) have this race car driver so question mark question mark profitability slash legitimacy but at the same time they're always like we gotta hang on to that criminal enterprise that's what makes us cool (laughs) yeah yeah like like let's get our race car guy involved in our criminal shit and gimpy's like no no the whole point of the race car guy is to get us out of the criminal shit not him into it he's like but he's so he'd be so good at it (laughs) (laughs) 
Uh, well, let's just have him steal a car for us uh, with Giant Man and and see how that works out. See how he likes it. See how we like it. And Nobody likes it. It doesn't turn out great for anybody. Uh, all yeah. our people end up going to jail. This It resolves over the course of two races and a yes. lot of stuff that doesn't actually happen on screen. Yeah, so basically like while stealing the car, they kill a guy and Joe's thinks that the best move to do now that he's been involved in a murder in a car dealership is to steal his crime boss's car, go back to his hometown and finish the race with Butthead. Yeah, he he has to go back and finish the race because that's what was really important in the movie. It's obviously what was most featured in the movie. And they do the race and then he agreeably goes to jail. And then we cut to like, what, five years later when he's Uh, out and he's like, and he's doing well now. Yeah, two years later. There's this <laughs> whole years thing later. about how he's got this brother who's a cop and he gets shot and killed right. trying to arrest the guy. And yeah. uh, <laughs> shotgun wedding happened in between. And now Butthead's married to Ruby, but Ruby's still hot for Joe. And Joe won't sleep with right. her now. Right. We saw the start of the shotgun wedding where like, he catches them kissing in the barn. So he's, and he shows up with a shotgun and is like, all right, it's time for the shotgun wedding. And then yeah. uh, our guy You're... goes, I don't know about that. And like, I know about that. <laughs> yeah, it's literally, you're marching down there to get, you're marching down to City Hall to get a marriage license. Marriage license for who? Marriage license for you. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> you and the and, girl. You and, and Ruby. Yeah, and apparently, oh, there's a cat fight because another blonde oh, girl yeah. is jealous over the attention that Ruby apparently gets from Joe, but doesn't actually. Right, I guess she's supposed to be the technical love interest for Joe, but n- comes to named. nothing. No. Yeah, comes to absolutely nothing. Uh, he goes to jail, they go to jail, and he, he gets to come back. And I think we end on the fucking race announcer again, don't we? I think so. Just like him blathering on about the race. Yeah. Joe, yeah. Joe being back. Oh, Joe's out of jail and it sure is great. And now I gotta pretend to care about his personal life. Yeah. Uh, just, I mean, it's... It, it, all of them are a complete bizarre thing, but I would say that White Lightning Road is pretty watchable. Has um easily the most production value but the least happening in it the least going on it is somehow the least memorable i i watched this thing not long ago at all and i struggle to remember anything it's it's crazy because it's the longest one it's got the highest production values but even the almost entirely cut and paste nature of untamed mistress just has a weird fire to it that isn't really present in this one yeah, although um, you know, it has some spice. There, there are things in it that are amusing. Sure. Oh yeah. Oh, there's a whole thing about how the the crime boss's wife wants to sleep with Joe. That doesn't go anywhere. Yeah, uh, she's like know. the she's like the character from Lost Highway. Right. But like, doesn't go anywhere. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Nothing goes anywhere. You needed the element. It just <laughs> it was it was another plot element you're supposed to have in this movie. It's like this is the stock character that you put in. So they have every single one of them and then it's like are we supposed to do anything with any of these people or storylines? <laughs> like I don't think so. As long as we have them there, we just need to check off the boxes and then they can be in the trailer and we're solid. And then we just put in all of that racing footage. <laughs> yeah. So uh please don't touch me is 
the least bad of them. <laughs> the most the, like a movie. The most interesting. Yeah. I, I would say that White Lightning Road is the most like a movie. It's just, it's oh. got the least in it. <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, Please Don't Touch Me is like 15 movies. It's just a really strange experience. It's the closest to good. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, um, that's a better way to put it. Uh, there's there's entertainment to be had in all three of them, though. All four uh, of them. All I, four I mean, of I, them, right. <laughs> I, I really did enjoy all four of these quite a bit, even though I hated a lot of all of them, too. Yeah. You know, I, I'd be standing there watching it, I'd be grinning and laughing, and then, you know, the next scene, I'd be like, I hate this, this is so fucking <laughs> stupid, you're making me so mad, shut up. <laughs> good stuff, good stuff. I, I, like, so far, I love the set. I'm really excited to dig into the other three discs, uh, and the book is fascinating, the the big Jimmy McDonough exotic ones book. Oh, did that come with this set or is that? I ordered them like the uh, indicator did a thing with the pre-order of that and with the book. So I picked up both because I have his previous one on Andy Milligan too. Oh, okay. Which is the same size and same <laughs> ridiculous nature. I haven't dug into that one too much yet. But... Oh man, I'll have to get we never to show covered... that. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, we we should also cover some Andy Milligan. Yeah, yeah, we should. You're right. We have not done that. I weird dude. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so, do you have any last thoughts on uh, the first disc of the Ormonds box uh, before we move on to part three? Uh, well, if you took, uh, I'm too tired to take the lie detector test. <laughs> but if the official from Kearney County wants to take the lie detector test with me, then I'll take the lie detector test in a few hours once I've been able to sleep and recover to do the lie detector test. But that wasn't good enough, so we didn't take the lie detector test. Uh, so be it, Schmitty. And we're back for our third and final section where we're talking about all the other movies we've watched on physical media in the past week to decide what we're going to cover for our second part next week. And then uh, also choose our main feature. All right. What do we got this time? So I believe we've got 13 picks in the watch stacks. Ooh. First up being the next film in the villages of the dam set from which we covered force the wolf last week. Yeah. Uh, so the next one is Beatriz which is, it's got kind of a similar flavor. Okay. Set in the past. Um, I, I, get, I don't know if it's exactly clear specifically when this one is, uh, but you've got this kid, he's going through the forest, and it's this era of roving bandits, you know, some political destabilization going on. Right. And uh, he sees these bandits attack this guy who's a monk. And uh, the monk turns out to be just like super well armed and he fucking just takes out four of them. Cool. And they say they're after this guy because he's the devil. So the kid gets it in his head that this guy is the devil. Oh. <laughs> so then he shows up at their house looking for, uh, you know, place to stop, place to rest. And we kind of get an idea of his background that he used to be uh, like fighting revolutionary guy, but you know, the revolution is past and now he's just a monk, but he's still got all these people after him from his past life. And uh, the, the kid's older sister, you know, she, she's Tina aged a little bit more 
and she oh. is just <laughs> bursting with hormones and she starts to be really into this guy but it's a weird era you know this is quite you know this is a few hundred years ago and not really able to express that so it comes out weird and everybody thinks she's possessed oh my god <laughs> and the kid thinks it's the devil thinks he's the devil so he thinks she's he's possessing her and it's it's much like forest of the wolf where it's a fake possession slash zombie type thing uh, in the way that that one's a werewolf movie, but not actually. Hmm, okay, that sounds interesting. I'm I'm just imagining the daughter like in the presence of the hot guy going, uh... <laughs> she's a zombie. She's a little bit more composed, but yeah, it's uh, <laughs> it's just she's obviously really into him, and then there's not really a real way to express it. Things do get she she does some weird stuff. Everybody's trying to do black magic. Like one of the housemaids has a sick daughter, so she thinks she's going to pass the sickness on to this daughter. And so she thinks she's the one who caused the demon possession because she used the severed ear of one of the guys that the monk iced at the beginning and sewed it into her pillowcase. But it oh. turned out that that wasn't a problem at all because the cat of the house uh, found the ear and ate it before anyone slept on it because it was too exciting to let sit. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty good. It's interesting. That saves the day. Yeah. Again. Next, we've got Lost Faith, which is the directorial debut and starring vehicle for Joel D. Winecoop. Now, I think we talked about this one a little bit last time, didn't we? Yeah. I, I introduced this one last time. Right, uh, that's it. And I, I also mentioned it when we covered Killing Spree, because he was the TV repairman who knew karate in Killing right. Spree. Right, <laughs> that guy. This is his starring vehicle. Oh, his, she is kidnapped by an evil white slavery ring, along with her model girlfriends, and it's up to him to save her. Yeah, you know, his hot model wife and all her hot <laughs> girlfriends, they all get kidnapped, so... He has to go rescue all the his red kung fu skills. Uh, but, you know, he's he's sort of turned against God. It's sort of this weird subplot where uh, there's this old, old naggy, I guess he's a priest. I don't really know if he's supposed to be a priest or just some old guy who cares about religion too much. But he keeps beseeching uh, Steve Nakoda, who kicks ass. <laughs> he keeps beseeching him to uh reconcile with god and then god will help him and steve just you know it's just like this periodic check-in where he runs into the guy and he's like well have you forgiven god and it's like he'll he'll pull out a newspaper and he's like this is why i'm mad at god and he'll read a bunch of <laughs> scandalous headlines I'm like why would god help me when all of this shit's going on <laughs> and uh, uh the guy's just like well you just need to have faith but steve has lost his faith just as long as just while he's lost his wife and his car and his stereo someone breaks in the house and is still in his stereo so he chases him down oh, no. <laughs> it's it's very absurd it's him chasing all of these people down uh he eventually you know tracks down the white slavery ring fights his way through them and then he has to you know battle the main guy one-on-one -on -one. you know their 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 karate <laughs> skills put to the test and um uh i ultimately he gets the strength he needs by uh getting his by saying like i believe in god and i care and it's gonna he, he basically decides okay i do need to pay lip service to god finally <laughs> and then 
uh, it's like spinach. He defeats him. And <laughs> uh, so, so he finds his faith. Of course. I mean, that's the arc, I guess, for some reason, even though it's not a major part of the movie, other than the gradual check-ins or uh, periodic check-ins with that one dude. <laughs> All right. Uh, next, she devils on wheels. This is the next in the big Herschel Gordon Lewis cereal box. Okay. Uh, Herschel Gordon Lewis, you haven't seen any of his films. Uh, I would put him as like if Ed Wood had extreme gore, but at <laughs> an Ed Wood level. <laughs> Oh my god. <laughs> He's known as the godfather of gore. His stuff is really lo-fi. It is in color, like pretty much always in color. And this one his his biker chick movie. Okay. You got the man eaters. They're the she devils on wheels. Oh, oh okay. Uh, <laughs> they they're an all-girl biker gang and they uh have each bright hyper color uh vests the like bright pink and green and everything like they're all individual colors rather than different ones and each one has an emblem of a pink cat head with a bow tie (laughs) so i'm just imagining like a pink hello kitty basically it's a little more detailed but it's cute and this is their this is their biker gang logo cool and their main thing is they have this abandoned runway that they do races on you know the gang of them right and uh at the end of yeah they they race to decide the order who gets first pick of all the simps who hang out in their clubhouse waiting to get like they they show up at the end of a race and they just like have all the men line (laughs) up against the wall and like all right who has first pick (laughs) uh extremely trashy obviously they have one one member who's underage but she's about to age in but her her name is oh i can't remember now is it i can't remember her name is actually just straight up jailbait <laughs> like i think it, it might be the character name i i think it's slightly <laughs> less specific than that Let me, um uh honeypot honeypot <laughs> Honeypot. <laughs> and you know, she kind of lures guys in and they beat the shit out of them. She they'll they'll like drag someone to death on the runway, or uh there's a part where they string a wire across the road and decapitate someone. It's <laughs> really hilariously fakey. It's I wanted my sandwich sliced. Yeah. Uh I mean it's I've told you basically everything that happens in the movie right now because there's okay. uh, most of it is just repetition of themes. It's a Herschel Gordon Lewis movie. It's there. There's not a lot of acting or things happening. You you have your concept and you exploit your concept. You you have enough scenes for a trailer and then you know once people are there they're there. <laughs> They've already paid the fee. Who cares if they leave? <laughs> yeah, so you get a couple of really good gore sequences to you get like some nasty gore at the end. Uh, yeah, it's, I don't know. Uh, I, I like Herschel Gordon Lewis, so it's sort of a vibe, but it's definitely longer than it needs to be by a degree. It's not unlike White Lightning Road, but there's definitely more to it than White Lightning Road. Oh, there would have to be. You'd need to. (laughs) 
Uh, next, we've got La Morte Trouble, or Unquiet Death. Oh. So this is the, uh, the, the other film on the same disc with Broken Mirror, same director. Okay. Uh, the the one with the just like the walking places movie. Oh yeah. Okay. Okay. This is uh, an earlier film he did. I think it's co-directed with this other person, and it's uh, there's these three sisters who've come to visit their uncle on his uh, isolated island castle that belongs entirely to him. I guess it's just him and his manservant. Okay. And they show up, I guess, and the uncle has already died, or I don't know, we, we arrive, they're already making preparations for the funeral when the movie opens, and I think they've just gotten there. Okay, so it sounds like like maybe he died while they were on their way or something. Something like that, I guess. Uh, and, you know, they, they were there to visit, but now, you know, it's if they're just trying to get the body shipped back to the mainland so they can go have a funeral. Uh, and then, for whatever reason, the they're, they're really rude to the manservant for a little bit. And then the boat doesn't show up. And there becomes this concern that the boat is never going to show up because of political reasons. Like there's been a coup or something on the mainland. Oh. <laughs> it's not exactly clear. And then uh, instantly the tables turn and they all become subs to the... <laughs> the manservant who makes them do experimental theater for him and makes okay. them like paint themselves up and do you know experimental theater that sort of acts out his ideas about the way men and women relate <laughs> so, oh no <laughs> there's a lot of that uh and you know they'll go out on the beach and they'll put a bunch of paint on and dance and for him and he'll you know, laugh and clap. And I don't know. It's fucking weird. <laughs> <It's>, okay. <laughs> I did not enjoy it anywhere near as much as the other one, which had a lot more just quiet walking places to, from, from place to place. <laughs> that was more my vibe. All right. Next, we've got Ocean's Eleven. Uh, not the famous one. I haven't seen any of the Ocean's movies. Uh, this oh. one or the famous ones. Uh, the Soderbergh ones are pretty good. That's I, what I really hear. like. Uh, I I saw Eleven and Twelve both in theater, and they're both great. Oh, cool. This one, uh, it's uh, so the do you, you you kind of familiar with the Rat Pack? Uh, a little bit. I know it's something to do with Frank Sinatra. Frank Sinatra and his Vegas buddies. Uh, okay. You know, they all had big lounge acts in Vegas when it was mobbed up in the 50s. And during the making of this film, where they made it, uh, hung over during the day after doing their lounge acts the night before, <laughs> it shows. Uh, oh, no. <laughs> uh, it's, a, it's a heist movie. <laughs> but everybody's, like, so tired. And everybody's like, <laughs> oh, man, can we just, like, lower the shades and... We'll just talk real slow and quietly about this, and we're not going to do any running or heisting or anything like that. <laughs> uh, Frank Sinatra in basically the Clooney role, and he's getting together his gang. He's Ocean. Right. And uh, he's getting his 11 guys together. I guess in this version, they all were in the same military unit together in the war. Oh, okay. So they have a more direct connection. It's not, there is a getting the gang together 
I don't want to call it a montage because it's sure not a montage. It's a <laughs> chunk of the movie, but there's not a lot of rhyme or reason to it. It's just they go and see each of these guys, but different people go and see the guys and they all have like a conversation in a room with them where they agree and like, well, yes, we have this mutual history, so we will do this thing. And there's, you know, each of them are a famous dude because they're all the Rat Pack. Right. <laughs> it's like. There's so nondescript. There's nothing about any of them. None of them have really any distinctive characteristics. There's one guy who has a heart problem. Oh, so so it's not like they're going into uh, Aretha Franklin's diner and ordering four fried chickens and a Coke. <laughs> no, and they're like, they, it is a heist. You know, they're going to rob the casino. They're, I think they're simultaneously robbing five casinos. Oh. I, I I say I That's... think I did watch it, but you don't really see a heist sequence. <laughs> oh, like like the moonshine in White Lightning. Yeah, uh, it's I mean, the heist happens and they get the money or maybe they, I, they, <laughs> things don't work out in the end for reasons. Uh, spoilers, but I mean, come on. <laughs> it's, the, the best shot of the movie is where they they realize at the end. Oh, yeah. I, I won't say exactly what happens, but they realize at the end that they've blown it and all the money is gone. And then they all just have this dejected walk and they're, you know, it's all these lounge guys. They're all tired and hung over. It's them walking down the Vegas strip, just looking dejected. And that's the final shot of the movie. <laughs> I'm just imagining the sad Charlie Brown music playing. Yeah. Something along those lines. So uh, boring. Really? Cause I've heard nothing but good things about the modern ones. Uh, I I would have nothing but good things to say about the modern ones. This one is boring. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit. Okay. I, I thought it'd be like one of those, like, you know, a classic. You'd think. Yeah. <laughs> Especially with this cast. And it's, a, they're, it's, you know, it's 1960. They're not uh, past their prime yet or anything. This is where the era that they're best known for, but. Oh, dang. They're tired. Was... It's slow. Uh, it's directed by Lewis Milestone, who uh, very important, a great director. He was the first Best Director winner oh. <laughs> back in 1927. Oh wow! <laughs> Before it was even a category, <laughs> they they merged two categories uh, that he won that year into Best Director for the following uh, ceremony. Oh, and he's okay. the guy who directed like All Quiet on the Western Front. So mm. very important. 30 years earlier and then he died right <laughs> after making this it it does kind of feel like it's shot by someone who's on his last legs oh, uh, wow. and featuring people who are all hung over and tired it's it just has a really low low energy man that's too bad because i i was looking at the list and i was thinking i was going to pick this one because <laughs> i had always wanted to see one of the oceans movies that are all so very good <laughs> Well, uh, the other ones will be coming up soon. I am okay. going to watch those other ones soon. The oh, nice. Nice, nice. I, I do intend to check at least one of them out. Totally. Uh, so next we've got Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Big change in energy. Oh, this one I don't believe I've seen. Uh, it's one I've always really had mixed feelings about. This watch of it was almost like a, with Batman Forever when I rewatched it last year and it finally kind of clicked with me basically that for this, although, you know, there, this is a movie that will always have elements that are just not good and that are problematic, 
this, you know, I, I guess the big thing right now is Kihoi Kwan's sort of renaissance with everything everywhere all at once. Uh, you know, he's the, he's the main guy in that yeah. he won an Oscar. Yeah. Yeah. He was, uh, he was, uh, the husband. Yeah. He's the child sidekick in this. Short oh, round. yes. I, <laughs> short round. Oh, boy. Short round. Uh, no time for love, Dr. Jones. <laughs> no time for love, Dr. Jones. Uh, and, and, you know, all of his things, he he really does feel like the heart and soul of this movie. I, I He always kind of graded on me because I was a kid who did not like kid actors or kid characters in movies. I didn't gravitate toward movies with kid characters. So he was grading when I was a kid, but I appreciate it now. I, I do see the, the soul of him because it's, it's weird. It has sort of continuity with the performance that he gives in everything everywhere all at once. He has the same sort of, uh, heart to him. Oh, interesting. But yeah, it's, it's absurd. It is Indiana Jones. It's a prequel to Raiders. Oh, okay. Uh, for whatever reason, I guess they decided they didn't want to do it based on Nazis, but hmm. so they said it just a few years earlier. It's in the thirties when there were Nazis, <laughs> they, yeah. they were rising they were they were definitely doing stuff in the 30s uh but it, it takes place in india where oh that's okay yeah it's, mm. it's interesting era uh and he runs he's he's with a different lady willie scott who screams a lot oh. she's not well liked not a well liked character uh not a great replacement for karen allen who's pretty beloved in the first one <laughs> But, you know, amusing. It's she's just it's her screaming about everything. And it's not a, a complaint about the actress. It's definitely an issue with the way the character is written. Uh, <laughs> she's doing what she came, what, what she was hired to do, and she's doing it perfectly. It's just it's not it's it's a written on the page like uh, Lucas and Spielberg were both going through divorces and Spielberg, I think, married her. Oh, <laughs> this this lady. Yeah. <laughs> Like this actress, so there's a lot of weird <laughs> stuff sewn up in it. It's not oh not a good female portrayal. Oh dear. Uh, so, you know, they they come they they land uh, in. There's this whole sequence where they get involved with uh, the mafia or like the Chinese mafia, I think, and they end up uh, crashing a plane in India. There's okay. a whole James Bond-esque opening sequence with the musical thing and <laughs> Harrison Ford in a tux. It's oh my god. Kind of rad, honestly. All right, cool. Uh and then, you know, they they end up in India and there's this tribe who ask them to retrieve this sacred stone and also, by the way, all of our children were abducted along with the stone. Right. And it was right. the Maharaja who did it. It was the child Maharaja. They oh. go to the palace. And the house. This is probably the most most notorious stupid scene. Oh, is this uh, it, the one where they're eating the like monkey brains or whatever? That is the one, and just a bunch of gross bugs and their snake surprise. You know what the surprise is? Is is it snakes? It's more snakes inside. Uh, <laughs> Living snakes why inside did the it dead have snake. To be snakes. <laughs> uh, it's I don't know. There, there's a lot of elements that are just like a total mess, but then. Once you get into the actual Temple of Doom, where they have a whole fucking minecart chase, and you get a guy who gets crushed under a rock, you Ooh. get a bunch of people falling, doing the Wilhelm scream, getting eaten by alligators. 
dude getting his heart ripped out and then they and you know they show it to him and then they uh, he's screaming and terrified and they hold the still beating heart and put him down into a fire oh, and man. then the heart combusts while he's down there screaming oh my god <laughs> all sorts of cool shit like it created the pg-13 rating because it was too intense for pg okay <laughs> and they weren't going to give you know a spielberg movie with a child sidekick of our rating yeah so we have to make a new rating i guess <laughs> <laughs> So is uh, this the one with the boulder, or is that the no? Last? That's that's Raiders. Okay. That's right at the start of Raiders. Yeah. Right. Uh, but yeah, this is one. It just it clicked with me a lot more on this viewing. Uh, I do like how pulpy it is. It feels like it's based on the really early serial era where you had to have a boy sidekick and things were just funkier and weirder and you had it it feels kind of like a silent movie with how over exaggerated everything in india is but like it is it's extremely problematic it's racist like they were gonna film this in india and then they showed the script to the government and they were like no this is too racist you can't shoot in our country oh my god so, you know it's it, it's not just racist now it was racist then oh my uh next up is indiana jones and the last crusade where uh his dad is james bond <laughs> oh right this one yeah it's sean connery isn't it it's sean connery i mean his dad isn't really james bond his dad is like yeah uh, a guy who's obsessed with the holy grail and uh he's just a really bookish guy and who never had time for uh budding young uh junior henry jones jr indiana <laughs> we named the dog indiana but he liked the dog's name better so he he chose the dog's name ah i see it's a gag in the movie this one it's really like okay temple of doom that was a little weird we made our money back but people feel a little sore about it so <laughs> let's go back to everything we did in the first one let's just do the whole thing again we'll bring back a bunch of the same actors we'll bring back a bunch of the same characters we'll bring back the same situations it'll be great <laughs> melt some more nazis and not quite but you know we're still dealing with nazis there is unfortunately this horrible subplot where both indy and his dad banged the same nazi chick oh that's and it's it's a runner like it's a big part of the movie she's one of the main characters uh somebody call ray dennis steckler <laughs> So, there, yeah, there's stuff in it that's, like, I don't like this one as much as either of the other two. A lot of people put this one above Temple. Uh, some people, like, I, I would say it's often chosen as the top one because it's kind of, I'd say, if you're looking for a Sunday afternoon dad vibe, this <laughs> one is the one. But... I like the pulpier stuff in the other two, definitely. Okay. This one, there's so much fan service. Uh, it's the it's it's the earliest movie I can think of that is just absolutely fucking jam packed with fan service. <laughs> uh, there's this whole opening sequence where it's young Indiana Jones played by uh, River Phoenix. Okay, and it's it's just him going on this brief adventure, and it's like the origin of every single single fucking element of the character he gets the hat he gets the whip there's a scar there's his fear of snakes like all of it happens in this like five minute sequence and it's like okay come on are you by <laughs> yourself yes what's your last name i don't have one Solo. Yeah. yeah it's 
it's like a full like 15 minutes of that at the start of the movie and that really takes me out of it every time like it, it is one that a lot of people really love and i i understand but uh that kind of fan service just fucking itches my balls i hate it i got all my stuff from this one adventure okay how come ah. you don't wear any of your stuff from your other adventures <laughs> yeah well he didn't i mean he had a whole tv series of a young indiana jones adventures oh cool different actor i think oh uh not a show i watched but i remember <laughs> it being on at the time uh next up we've got an indiana jones exploitation basically or you know the with indiana jones the jungle adventure movie had a brief 80s revival oh sure there's like that there was romancing the stone as well that was really big uh so this is like a mexican exploitation riff on those and uh just like with copious violence and nudity treasure of the amazon Ooh, an adventurer and his buddies race a former nazi and others to diamonds in the south american jungle you want to know who plays the former nazi oh you're gonna tell me and i'm gonna (laughs) i'm not i i won't is it klaus it's Donald Pleasance. Oh fuck! <laughs> Donald Pleasance having some fun uh, nice. as as the the Nazi. Uh, it's it's weird. You got have it's it's this movie where you have like these multiple teams of adventurers, and most of them don't really cross over with each other. He's hanging out with this lady who is a tribal chief. Like she she's the leader of a tribe, uh, and she's always topless. Oh, sure. Because <laughs> uh, her tribe, all of them are always topless. So whenever we run into any of her people, they're topless. A lot of nudity in this movie. <laughs> uh, one, one of the things that's really funny, at the opening, they have this thing that says, this is based on a true event that took place in 1958. And then like we have a beat, and then they have you know, just a brief moment, and like, you show some stuff happening, then you have another header that says, this takes place in a fictional location. <laughs> like if, if it, if it's based on a true thing, how does it take place in a place that doesn't exist? Though? Well, mm-hmm. I'm finding holes in the story very quickly. Well, you see what it, what, what, what it is, is it truly took place in somebody's imagination? Uh, so you got, there's this guy who is on a riverboat, this guy called Gringo, who's just this, american who's been in country for a long time so just his name is gringo <laughs> uh he meets up with a couple other adventures and they know about some lost gold or maybe they're after the lost diamonds there's both lost gold and lost diamonds in this movie that both get found oh so, well like there's there's all sorts of stuff going on <laughs> <laughs> i mean it's in in the same sense as White Lightning Road, it's something that just goes through and it makes sure to check every single box in the jungle adventure exploitation checklist. So you've got your headhunters, you've got your quicksand, you've got your uh, uh, topless natives, you've got uh, the hidden gold mine, you've got the hidden diamond mine. You gotta just throw <laughs> both of them in there. Nazis in the jungle post-war. Yeah, uh, vine swinging. I don't know if you had any vine swinging. Okay. It's it's it, like it's more on the hard exploitation end of things. Oh. You know, with quite a bit of violence and nudity, right? Oh, I see. Uh I mean, 
I'm not a big fan of the jungle subgenre. Like, I'm not even a huge fan of the Indiana Jones movies. Like I said, Temple is one I've only just come around to. Uh, but, you know, for an 80s jungle adventure, I think it would be pretty satisfying if you're into that. It's just not really my vibe, I guess. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> uh, next is Kill Zone, which is, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Um, <laughs> so kill zone uh scare camp is is this place uh it i, I guess it's a spoiler but it's kind of in every write-up about the movie you it's it's sort of a reveal after like 20 minutes or half an hour or something but they're not actually in a vietnamese pow camp you know because <laughs> like the the first bunch of time you have all these pow or these these american soldiers and special forces dudes and they're like tied to stakes and you have this vietnamese guy who's shrieking at them and uh trying to get them to give up some sort of secret and you know they're dragging guys away and putting them in huts and doing all sorts of torture and shit and then the reveal is that it's all a training exercise oh okay they're just all uh, like some of them are vietnam vets so like this is triggering ptsd about stuff that literally did happen to them yeah one guy especially and it's really showing and everybody's aware of it and they're like hey you gotta ease off on this guy because he's gonna break <laughs> i th the premise just generally is completely otherworldly stupid that for <laughs> the, for some reason they are doing this thing and it's it's not in vietnam or anything it's just like next to a town it's like, <laughs> just outside of boston i think <laughs> Which is okay. All right. <laughs> already, already really a layer of bizarreness. And then um, obviously the guy snaps. He kills a bunch of other dudes yeah. on his way out and takes to the forest. And he thinks he's in Nam. Oh, no. The one guy in the platoon who's his buddy who, who kept saying like, hey, you guys are just going to make him snap and it's you're not going to be happy about it. Let me guess, Charlie's everywhere. Yeah, so like he goes to find the guy and talk him down, but the other guy, like the the main guy who runs the camp, has decided he's definitely going to kill him, and he's going to get all his guys to hunt him down. Uh, the, the logic of any of it never comes into play. It's just, for some reason, he's decided to kill them, and then he's killing civilians who run into them, because they're just outside of town. They're like on hiking trails and shit. <laughs> oh my god uh and th this is the colonel like the the <laughs> the guy who hasn't snapped supposedly who's doing uh all the violence and i guess he's planning to blame it on the guy who snapped after he kills him uh yeah <laughs> what this movie <laughs> uh you know it's 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 a strange thing all right Next, Next up is Summer Fun from Ray Dennis Steckler. Uh, <laughs> wow, what a descriptor. Beach set silence movie, period. <laughs> silent movie. I mean, it self-declares silent movie at the start. Oh. <laughs> so it's a movie that was shot without sound. I will give it that. Okay. I guess in a very technical sense, it was supposed to be him doing a tribute to a silent movie in the same sense as like, Lemon Grove Kids was him doing like a Bowery Boys movie, like 30s kids nonsense. Okay. But I mean, 
in execution <laughs> it's, it's like it's made on camcorder this is uh, an elderly ray dennis deckler retired ray dennis deckler oh he's uh he's remarried for i think the third time he has like this in the middle of the poster you see the the younger the youngest girl there she's his youngest daughter oh i see <laughs> so it's a movie where they go on summer vacation and have uh there there's all these muscly dudes and hot babes and they have a beach competition and uh she's on their team and helps them win okay um i'm yeah i'm seeing this was made in 1997 uh, yeah yeah the the trooper was what 70 something like that yeah this is like after a solid 20 25 years maybe in the hardcore porn industry <laughs> where which I, I feel maybe crushed any of his joie de vivre in terms of filmmaking. You just <laughs> it, it doesn't feel like a silent film in any sort of way. It just kind of feels like you're looking at vacation footage where people occasionally are pretending to ham it up for a plot. <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it, it feels more than anything. What it reminded me of was like, if you stay in a hotel and it has one of those videos, it's like, local attractions and then oh. some library music plays and you see some people enacting you know doing the tourist stuff oh. it feels like that yeah yeah like da, 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 da. they're like going into the shopping mall all excited yeah the whole movie feels like one of those an old man in the swimming pool with a beach ball and goggles yeah and it, like you know like let's go to the camp and you know we'll, we'll see all the stuff at the camp and all the amenities that the camp has to offer like, <laughs> oh my god the bathroom is never a far walk <laughs> yeah that kind of thing although no no voiceover or anything right and like they didn't have like they couldn't do intertitles this is made in camcorder so you, <laughs> you have like typo riddled sequences that have been like typed in on the camcorder you know, do you do you remember doing that kind of shit? Oh, yeah. Um, I, I tried know. to make a stop motion film with my Power Rangers toys with a camcorder, but I didn't really know how to do it at all. And even if I did, that's not the right tool for the job. Stop motion is tricky. So next up, we've got Tristan, uh, a.k.a. Legend of a Hero. Oh, Michael so J. Next... Murphy does this story again. <laughs> does that does it again uh he'll do it more there's there's <laughs> another version coming up at the end no not at the end in the middle there's another one two discs down the road so we're on like what thir three or four now at least three uh this is the first one that is still intact okay uh the the first one tristan and i sold was uh largely just fragments very very small fragments right right like a lot of the first few were so who do you figure plays Isolde? Uh, Tristan and Isolde. I'm gonna guess the girl from Bloodstream. I mean, of course, it's the secretary from Bloodstream. She's in every <laughs> single one of these movies. She, okay. She's the main character. Cool. Uh, are, are you familiar with the Tristan and Isolde story? I am not. I, I, I only know some of the Shakespeare stories and not even all the famous ones. This this one isn't Shakespeare. This is oh, just like... That I, I, I truly I'm, don't know... I don't know if it's history. I don't, I don't know. 
Anyway, it's it's more of like a German folk tradition, but it's very popular in Britain. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's or I, I think especially in Ireland, because it's like a Celt thing. There's there's a uh, a subplot of like the the joining of uh, of a kingdom because Tristan goes to get Isold Isolde uh, to retrieve her for a, an arranged marriage where she's going to be married to this king to make peace between these two kingdoms. Okay, and uh, you know she. Uh, falls in love with the dashing Tristan, although she also hates him because he's doing this and he's just this poodle-haired 80s guy who can't <laughs> act. <laughs> very muscly. Uh, a lot of just muscly 80s dudes with really 80s permed hair with swords, wearing tunics, and just like fighting in obviously just like the 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 forest outside of cornwall you know mm-hmm. <laughs> where just it, it's it it feels like you're watching uh a larp video a lot of the time <laughs> lightning bolt um <laughs> yeah so he retrieves her she falls she sort of falls in love slash hate with him and he falls in love with her but she still has to get married to this king and then she cheats on the king with him and then uh there is like he's exiled there's there's this whole lengthy protracted thing and then there's this teenager who sees him on the run being hauled away who's just like oh man that guy is a hot rebel (laughs) so and she's a princess who is in need of a husband so he's given respite and like let out of jail so he can marry her but he won't sleep with her because he's so in love with Isolde. <laughs> and it's just a whole problem in the marriage. And like, what are we doing? Why, why, what is going on here? I, I want the splatter that came to the set for fucking low budget horror. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah it, um... <laughs> it, it seems like he kind of goes back and forth. Yeah. I mean, I, I got to respect him for, just following whatever vision he wanted to make. And even if it was not commercial, <laughs> this is not commercial. Bloodstream is a bloody good film. But yeah, I mean, especially compared to this, Bloodstream is a bloody good oh, film. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> I mean, it's not terrible, but it's also just like ambient cinema. Right, right. Next up, we've got Meet Me in the Bathroom. Oh, so this is a documentary, a music documentary. Okay. About the early aughts New York scene. Mm, so right. like primarily the Strokes, but you've also got like Interpol, the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs, TV on the radio. Oh, and and especially LCD sound system. Very important. Okay. Yeah. I'm not very familiar with any of those groups. So... The thing is, you feel like I feel like you kind of need a familiarity with all of those groups' music going in. Oh well, <laughs> because it is it's not it's it's not giving you any context for them. It's just all built out of archival footage from that era. Okay, and telling the story of those bands sort of slowly coming to be, and all of those dudes like interviews with them from various different points in that period and. Uh, tracking the development of that scene but like there's no voiceover they're not like playing you a song to orient you with who these people are you're you're following this 
you, you follow the the guy who becomes the main person in LCD sound system, James Murphy, for quite some time before they mention LCD sound system as a thing that exists. And oh. that's why we've been following this guy. Oh, yeah. See, that that would be lost on me. Yeah. So th- there's a, a lot of stuff like that. And like, I, I'm a big fan of all of these bands. So this was great. Like, I really enjoyed it. But it also does feel like it's heavily, heavily condensed down from because this is based on a book that I hear is really great on this scene. So it kind of almost just played for me as a trailer of like, I got to read this book and <laughs> uh, get get the full experience. But a lot of interesting stuff. You get uh, uh, pretty deep into how the scene actually developed. It's just you sort of do need to know a lot of who these people are going in. Okay. All right. That's interesting i probably won't pick it but it sounds interesting nonetheless that's fair uh last up is nightmares which is a first wave australian slasher movie kind of a giallo really oh from 80 so yeah right from the start it is uh there's this girl she walks in and sees her mom having sex with her younger lover her her boy toy gas and yeah, and it shocks her. And then, like, I don't know, a couple days later, they're driving and she's falling asleep. Like, the kid is falling asleep in the backseat. And uh, the mom and her lover are kind of fooling around and giggling in the front seat while driving. And the girl wakes up and sees it and flips out and causes a car accident. And the mom dies. Oh, no. And she's like, it's not even like she has guilt over it. She's like explicitly blamed for it. And she's like five or six and she's in the hospital bed recuperating. And her dad is like, you killed your mother. Oh my God. <laughs> the doctors are all talking about how, yeah, she definitely did it. It's uh, She's the one who's uh, completely to blame. The diagnosis <laughs> is this is a naughty child. The, the worst child and maybe she kind of is to blame like i think maybe she did some of it on purpose because she just becomes completely fucking mental uh it cuts to her 20 years later where she gets a role in a play okay that's that could you know help her work through some of her issues potentially i mean it certainly gets her out of her shell she starts murdering people left and right she's got her her favorite thing is she does she's got like the stone cold stunner thing she smashes a pane of glass and that's how you know (laughs) she's gonna come kill somebody (laughs) i just heard the smashing glass and like the music in my head (laughs) like i'm imagining like the girl from the poster just coming down the ramp (laughs) smashing two beer cans together not drinking any of it actually (laughs) because you can't yeah Uh, because well she she smashes glass and then she uses a shard of broken glass to stab people to death with that's her mo okay okay that's it's it's a thing it's something uh i mean it's it's it is one of these early ones and it's osploitation it is like they're censorship was much more relaxed so you could go quite a bit harder in their movies so uh the first killing there is full frontal male and female nudity uh she stabs a guy in the dick with Ah, the glass ah. (laughs) she goes at the lady's breasts quite a bit because you know the thing is it's it's so blunt you know it's not even slightly 
uh, uh, toned down from the Michael Myers thing where he's just sort of this blank slate. She is obsessed with other people having sex and it upsets her greatly and she just goes on killing spree anytime sex comes up. <laughs> so, so, you know, it's, it's pretty, pretty blunt. All right. That sounds fun. It's, it's it, was, it was a good time. I mean, it is a very classical uh, uh slasher in that like it is so down to the bone there there's not a lot to it i did send you that one clip of uh the director telling her to laugh and cry or whatever and she just her <laughs> insane <laughs> and someone slips her is like you can't tell me what to do you bitch you bitch <laughs> <laughs> right her like cackle sobbing Oh, incredible. Very good moment. All right. So those are our 13 picks. Uh, what do you figure for next week? Uh, well, right now it is between Beatriz, Lost Faith, Nightmares, and the uh, not Indiana Jones jungle thing. Treasure of the Amazon. Yeah. Um, okay. Now we did folk horror just last week. True. Uh we we can certainly do more though. Oh well, I'm not against it. <laughs> sure, sure. I mean, God knows we've done a lot of slashers. That is true. <laughs> I mean, we might do all of them one day. Sure. I, I mean, I, it's almost impossible. There's so yeah, many slashers. Oh, sure. <laughs> um, but you know what? I don't think we've ever done is a jungle movie. That's true. Uh, so why don't we do? Treasure uh, of the Amazon. With Donald Pleasance oh. as a Nazi, of course. Has Donald Pleasance as a Nazi. Yeah, let's do that. Alrighty, so Treasure of the Amazon for our second film. Yeah. Now, on the main stacks, we have a number of additions. First, uh, let's see here. Uh, starting with, uh, well, of course, there was Delinquent Girl Boss, which we talked about, Stray Cat Rock, mm -hmm. first in the series. Uh, next, we've got a new box set, the Pier Pasolini 101 set from Criterion, with his, I think it's his first proper movie. I have seen this in not a really long time. Uh, Akatone, uh, The Scrounger. It's this guy, he's a real low-level pimp, and then his his girl gets arrested and his source of income is gone, so he is just <laughs> fucking on the skids. Oh my god, a pimp with no other means to provide for himself <laughs> finds his life spiraling out of control when his prostitute is sent to, sent to prison. <laughs> He's only got the one. Yeah. <laughs> oh Real man, he is a <laughs> leech on society. Yep, yep. Uh. <laughs> Uh, next up, The Sky is Falling, The Sky is Falling, a.k.a. Bloodbath, which is the third movie in the Villages of the Damned uh, folk horror set. Chicken, uh, this a one, desperate hippie yeah, chunky. Played by Dennis Hopper. What? Uh, Dennis Hopper as a uh, junkie, an American junkie who's just awash in, in small town Spain, rural Spain. <laughs> and he just doesn't really know what's actually happening, but and but the villages are actually uh, definitely murdering and sacrificing children, and uh, you know his his people, like his junkie folk, they've sort of built their own kind of drug cult. Aside to that, I guess. Okay. Hmm. Well, that uh, seems fun. nuts. I hear it's trashy. <laughs> <laughs> sounds like it'll be a little bit of a different tone from. Uh... 
the werewolf, the force of the wolf. Yeah, yeah. I think this one's going to be a bit more uh, actual <laughs> uh, crazy magic stuff and folk horror. <laughs> so speaking of trash, next is Just for the Hell of It, which is the next HGL, Hershel Gordon-Lewis film. Oh. It's about a teen violence gang doing teen violence. <laughs> oh, what is what is the reason they're doing it? It seems to be that it's just for the hell of it. Oh, my God. Uh, can you imagine? <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, just uh, some some leather boys doing leather violence. <laughs> going to be real low stakes. I'm spray painting tits on the wall of the school. Well, it's Herschel Gordon-Lewis, so you're definitely oh. going to be stabbing people. There's there's going to be some eyes gouged out. That's kind of a, a de rigueur. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, next, Guilty Pleasures, which is kind of an anthology film. I mean, there's only two parts, so it's not that much of an anthology. Right. Uh, it's an SOV anthology. It's Ooh. about these two hot gals. One live, they, they both live in the same apartment building. One lives above the other. So each one's a story about those two girls and what they go through in some sort of SOV nightmare. Okay, cool. Uh, next, we've got The Monster of the Opera. Uh, different from uh, the Phantom, I assume. Yeah, this one's hornier. Oh, oh, wow! <laughs> uh, this one, uh, it's it's Renato Polselli. I, I also recently watched his movie Vampire and the Ballerina. This is sort of his follow up to that, and very similar in premise, is my understanding. Okay. There's uh, just a vampire who is nearby this ballerina troupe. And, <laughs> oh, and very similar. One of the ballerinas is this woman he he thinks is the reincarnation of his his long lost love, so he just is hanging out there and it just everybody's incredibly horny. Sure, because it's 1964 and you couldn't really quite do much yet, but you're really close to being able to, and everyone's just <laughs> like straining at their clothes. Next, we've got the Bermuda Triangle, which is the next one in the... I, I don't think I mentioned, but it's uh, the uh, Rene Carter Jr. box set from Vinegar Syndrome, which is the one we're watching uh, Treasure of the Amazon from. Oh, okay. Okay, cool. So this one, it's about a cruise ship. They're on a cruise, and then they cross into the Bermuda Triangle, and weird stuff starts happening. Oh. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it'll be all of the bermuda triangle type stuff oh sure <laughs> i it's long <laughs> it's, all of these are kind of long oh wow 112 minutes for uh this kind yeah. of movie hmm. yeah they are they all kind of are long that's just good they run long uh he also did that uh the the guiana cult of the damned movie oh that I watched a while back right right um yeah the uh, uh jonestown no. Yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Jonestown. Yes. Uh, he. Yeah. He. He's a real uh, exploitation legend. Right. Uh, next up, Delirium. There's so many movies with this name. <laughs> uh, just ridiculous amount of movies. I have multiple movies by this name. This one is a video nasty. Ooh. One of the early original video nasties, and it's a slasher movie. 
Uh, it, it is about a Vietnam vet and he's mad at society. Uh, you know, it's, it's in, you know, it's by Vietnam vet stack. Uh, but this one, it's a slasher movie. The Vietnam vet becomes a slasher rather than, uh, taking a stand against society by taking over a central park, for instance. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> and the last edition is death run, which is the next one of the Michael J. Murphy box. Ooh. This one is like one of the ones I was most hyped for from this set. Uh, it's one that I had heard of before and is pretty interesting. It is a future dystopian sci-fi. This guy wakes up, this guy and his girlfriend wake up 25 years after a, an apocalypse and the Messiah rules everything. And there's a death run that people have to go through. So it's like American Gladiators, the movie. <laughs> nice. It sounds like more the kind of jam that I'm here for Michael J. Murphy. Yeah, see, this, after seeing Bloodstream and um, and the other one, this sounds like what I want. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so I'm hyped for that one. So what do you figure for our main pick? I, I think uh, you had one in mind. I did have one in mind, <laughs> and I'm, I'm still trying to come up with a good reason to not pick it. And since I can't, I'm just going to do it. Gatekeep Gaslight Girl Boss. Or Delinquent Girl Boss. boss. <laughs> Hell yeah. Stray Cat Rock, first in the series. Uh, all directed by Yasuharu Hasebe. So we're going to have uh, two back to back features of his movies. That'll be kind of cool. Mm-hmm. I think we'll both like this one more. I recall liking this one more. Uh, I, I have seen it. I've seen the first two or three of these before yeah, okay so that'll be this will be interesting because this is i guess going to be him doing his property whereas uh, scorpion was kind of him doing somebody else's shtick right exactly this is his original stuff this is his girl gang movie and it is just girl gangs fighting against boy gangs <laughs> i mean like it's good stuff yeah, it's fun that's what yeah, I i'm want. into it yeah so uh, then next week, we're doing Stray Cat Rock, Delinquent Girl Boss, and Treasure of the Amazon. Uh, some good exploitation stuff. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, so do you have any last thoughts before we uh, close for this week? I was going to try to sing the Scorpion song, but like I couldn't remember a single word of it, as usual. <laughs> That's fair. Uh, I, I've just got that Jim Sullivan song that I sent you stuck in my head because I've been thinking about the uh, Reiner Reiner Oschmidt UFO things, this song about UFOs by this guy who got abducted by a UFO, maybe? That's the theory. He just disappeared one night in the desert. Oh, I see. <laughs> uh all right well uh thanks everyone for listening uh looking at the sun dancing through the sky did it come by ufo